Actually, I think the Mason-Dixon is horizontal, not vertical. Anything that side of the Mississippi, I guess. The only time I heard someone say Mason-Dixon was you and Ice Cube. <laughs> we got a lot in common that way. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is the Gas Cap Renegades podcast, also known as the Trailcast. I'm your host, Levi Black Eagle, and we are going to go on an adventure. So lace up them shoes, grease up those nipples, and put some band-aids on those ass cheeks, and let's talk running. Trail running. The Gas Cap Renegades podcast. Trailcast. Hello, everybody. This is Levi Black. You go host of the Gas Cap Renegades. With me, as always, is Jason Cummins. How the heck are you, Jason? Very, very fine. How are you? Good. I feel like I just kind of hit a switch and turned it on just now. Really? Yep. A little bit. Just flipped the switch and... All the greats were able to do that. Michael Jordan, <laughs> Kobe Bryant. You just flipped the switch and you became the Michael Jordan of podcasts. So. <laughs> Something like that. I ordered this jacket on um one of those Facebook ads. Spacebook? Facebook. Oh. And I thought it was ripoff because that was like about two months ago when it never came in. I thought that was Pendleton. I thought it looked like Pendleton on the Facebook. I was it, like, this guy just now visit the hoodies. It's like a screen print fabric that's mimicking Pendleton, which is why it was so cheap. I thought I was getting the scream of a deal, but. It looks like you're wearing one of those elk tooth shirts yeah one of those dress <laughs> shirts i don't think we can say those oh is it controversial um we might get a strongly worded letter all right stop but yeah no it's like that it's like a it's like a like a printed fabric but not a a blanket cool it's a nice jacket i was i was expecting more it looked a lot better on that guy <laughs> <laughs> the model made it look way the better model. Huh? what do you know what is weird because I saw the same ads, but the heading was different, like a different um, company, but they had all the same pictures. And you might know what I'm talking about. It's like the ones where um, they have a lot of people from Yellowstone, the TV show in there. They'll take like characters who are, they'll t- find them like in a pose. Then they'll take their jacket off and put like their, these kind of jackets on them. But you tell it's just all Photoshop. Are they a bunch of different companies selling the same thing? I don't know. I, I thought it was a scam at first because it was like really, really when I paid for it, it was really cheap. And when it never came and I wasn't able to track it. It's probably in China, huh? It might've been China. China I seen virus. some like running gear ads mm-hmm. and it was like the exact same gear, these um, shorties. And um, the ones that look like jeans, <laughs> the Canadian <laughs> speed suit shorts. Mm-hmm. No, but um, I don't know. They look like pretty good running shorts, but all these different companies are selling the same thing. So I think that was a scam. Did you buy some? Nope. I don't know if it was. Well, it finally came in today. I went to go get my stimulus money, but it wasn't there, but this was there, so. My pocket's are real tiny. I can't even put my hands in there. Stimulus money? How much? I don't know. That's that's what we're going to find out. Fingers crossed. What are you hoping for? Hoping for 1500 bucks a person. Holy mackerel. Got big hopes. You got you to gotta dream big. Dream big? You're disappointed a lot, but at least when the dreams come true it's big <laughs> <laughs> if you aim for the stars you just might hit the moon yeah you mm-hmm. gotta jump back bounce back wiggity whack um <laughs> <laughs> i 
I forget what I was going to say. I had something good to say to you. Jump. Nope. What did you say right before that? Dream big. Dream big. Do you... I don't think it works when people ask for prayers, no questions asked. What do you think? <laughs> I remember a teaching where um, this person was praying for a bike. But then when... um. He got real specific and said, I want a blue bike and it needs to be look like this and this. And then he, he needs he, to have white, white walls. I guess you need to be specific with your prayers, not, not vagaries. So when you ask me to pray for you for no questions asked, I need a little more, a little more detail. I'm pretty specific with my prayers. I mean, like why put that out there? Prayers, no questions asked. I like to do that just to see when my mom will ask me a question. <laughs> you put that out there just to, um, damn it, mom. I said, no questions. <laughs> Get your mom's attention. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. I think being specific is helpful and it's a little bit of work, especially praying, mm-hmm. being really specific. You know, be specific with your goals. And goals, being specific with your goals, smart goals, mm-hmm. specific, measured. Do you think you need, do you think having the A, B, and C, and D goals, or what do you think of that? I don't understand that. Like, you have, like, take it within a race. First goal, I want to win it. If not, I want to win my age group. If not, I want to do top 10, you know, things like that, kind of descending order. Or do you think they should flip it and their first goal should be the lower tier then go up that way? I kind of like to under-promise and over-deliver. Like, work really hard. And I know in my heart of hearts I want to do something, mm-hmm. but I don't put it out there for the world to um, pull down and laugh at. <laughs> I think I have the exact opposite philosophy here with the... Uh, you being, shoot high being, and being a being a married man. Just kidding. <laughs> what? I'm always I'm always over promising and under delivering. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but especially with goals like well when it's running it's I'm not super competitive, but in my own mind like I have my goals. Mm. So first goal for me is always stay healthy, don't get hurt. Yeah. Uh, the second goal is have fun. How do you prevent injury? Are you doing okay with that? I'm trying. I went to physical therapy for the first time. Will you ever dance again? <laughs> yep. I'm, okay. I haven't stopped. <laughs> <laughs> like no one's watching. Yep. Well, that's good. You're going you're gonna to bounce back, make a full recovery? Because you're still running, though. I'm still running. I don't think... Um, is it not, is it I, not really? My mileage is the same as last year at this time, but it feels like I'm not running as much, which is how I felt last year also. Mm. So it must be something psychological. Hmm. It's the same, but I just feel like it's not as high as I want it to be. You're running the same as you were last year? When I looked at the mileage, yeah, and it's about the same. That's good. Like 1,400 miles. I don't even know what mine is anymore. I stopped uploading my stuff. I don't need that kind of... Yeah, I don't need that... Excess pressure. So I don't ask for the receipt on my ATM withdrawals. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. <laughs> don't need that in my life. So we got a great guest today. I feel like um Hey, we're you're old. We are. We are. Happy birthday, man. Thank you. Happy birthday. I think it was this year, last year when our first episode we were talking about cooking a turkey. You were getting rather explicit. You were getting very the, explicit uh, about your turkeys. About your, the size of your turkey's chest <laughs> bust. <laughs> digging yourself a hole. All they had were 25-pound gobblers out there and 
They came with lots of baggage. <laughs> what kind of baggage? I was buttering that butter ball. <laughs> took me a whole block of butter. Do One you, of those Hooterite blocks of butter. Hooterite <laughs> block. Not just a stick. Do you, uh, how do you cook it? Well, this year I'm doing something different. I, I'm doing the, um, the dry brine, where um, you make sure it's thawed out by Sunday at least, which was bad because I forgot about it. So I had to do the quick thaw method where you submerge it in cold water and change out that water every 30 minutes. Well, yeah, that's neither here nor there. What you do on Monday is you make like a salt rub type thing, like whatever seasonings you want in there. But the main thing is salt, kosher salt. Then you just cover your turkey with it all over inside the cavities. And what it does is some people will do a wet brine where they'll make like a salty solution and submerge the turkey in there and just leave it there until it's time to cook. What it does is um, the dry brine will absorb all the moisture from the meat It'll it'll draw it out, then it'll make the turkey drier. No, the exact opposite because it soaks that salt soaks into the moisture, then it reabsorbs back into the bird, and then it seasons it, and then um this you end up with a crispy skin and a juicy bird, and well tasting one. <laughs> so if you haven't done that already, it's too late. So you gotta yeah, too late. Too yeah. late then. So then on tomorrow night, I'll do some aromatics. Then I'll throw it in the oven on Thursday morning. That's cool. Tonight? No. Thanksgiving's tomorrow. Huh? <laughs> it is, isn't it? Dang, yeah. The, um, I'm going to feast. Are you guys doing the prime rib route then? I'm not sure what we're doing. Some rib steaks. It's always going to be Some New York. They sell, they sell American Wagyu from um, Stank River Farms. Stank River? Stank. That sounds like a good race. We should call it Stank River. Huh? Stank River. It's a snake because I don't know what stank is way better. I think we just renamed them Stank River. Stank River Farms. <laughs> Anyhow, they have with the Wagyu. With American Wagyu. So they have it at Albertsons. It's only twenty nine ninety nine a pound, too. Only? <laughs> That's cheaper than um, Hardin IGA's Cause if hamburger. You get, <clears throat> if, you get the same, if you get the same cut at, um, I don't know, man. Hardin's COVID prices during the pandemic, they were getting... They were, they're rivaling Stank River for yes, a bit geez. for uh, for some chuck. It's the most expensive chuck in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyhow, they have it at Albertsons. Maybe, or if you order that at Cut in Las Vegas, you're going to pay like $75 an ounce. I don't think I'm going to order anything. Just get <laughs> Las Vegas. <laughs> so I've heard, and you know, I, think, I think Scott went over there recently and said he ordered a $80 steak. Oh, geez. That's crazy. I mean, good for him. Good for you, Scott. Uh, I hope it was worth it. I hope, I hope it was delicious. It stayed in your belly for days. I guess you could just you could cut that steak with a fork. Like it was a meatloaf. That's how tender it was. Huh. Mm-hmm. We must be hungry. Did you eat breakfast yet? I haven't eaten breakfast yet. Me neither. One time I was working at AML. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that was a fun place to work. It's probably one of the... It's nothing but physical labor. But um, A lot we, of horseshoes, huh? I didn't play horseshoes. Oh. That was like I had, we talked about setting goals. First mm-hmm. goal was um, don't lose my work ethic. Yeah. Second goal was work every day, all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a while ago. It's not the same AML today as it was back then. But um, it was almost like you, you were peer pressured not to work. Oh, <laughs> Sometimes on the hot afternoons. Yeah. That's when they whip out the old horseshoes. 
It's probably a cornhole now. They probably got a cornhole boards. Walking on cornhole boards. That seemed like it'd be easier to have a bag of shoes and a stake. My first day of work, there was a guy in it. Um, he was kind of shoveling over there alone, shoveling mm-hmm. and filling the wheelbarrow and pushing the wheelbarrow. He was like, don't hang around with that guy. He's a robot. I said, how come he's a robot? He said, he never quits working. So, like, I decided to work with that guy. You wanted to be the machine, huh? I wanted to earn my keep a little, but what I was saying was we were out in, like, towards the Sarpy area, mm-hmm. and we were digging a reservoir out there in the middle of nowhere. I don't know why. You're digging a reservoir? Yeah, we made a reservoir for some dude. Hmm. I don't know what we were doing out there. but Like a stock pond over there? It's a reservoir. Like, mm. on the side of a hill? Yeah. With your bare hands? With your shovels? With our shovels and our wheelbarrows. Wow. Egyptians. Did somebody a favor. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, there was a herd of turkeys out there. Mm-hmm. Like 100, 150 turkeys. And they were. Just, one day we decided we were going to catch a turkey. Was it a flock or a herd? A murder? It was a murder. What's the, what the group of turkeys called? Go on. Keep going. It was a large mass gathering of turkeys. It was a mass gathering of gobblers. They're pretty fast runners, though. So a few of us decided to catch turkey, and the turkeys didn't want to get caught. <laughs> <laughs> so happy Thanksgiving. It's called a rafter. A ra- no, what? A rafter of turkeys. So I have the um, pleasurable experience of seeing a rafter of turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> I have the honor of seeing a rafter. It's a... um. Mm. Gaggling? I don't know. That's why they gaggle. A gaggle? A gaggle? It's Dutch word gaggling, meaning to cackle. So a group of turkeys is called a rafter. But you know that the tribe that first um, welcomed the pilgrims is still around. The first tribe? The Wampanoag, Mashpee. Are they Mashpee or is it Wampanoag? The heck, have I know. Yeah, there's still Anything over there. That side of the Mason-Dixon, I don't. I'm not nothing. You're a little ahead of me because I don't even know where the Mason-Dixon is. <laughs> Actually, I think the Mason-Dixon is horizontal, not vertical. Anything that side of the Mississippi, I guess. The only time I heard someone say Mason-Dixon was you and Ice Cube. <laughs> we got a lot in common that way. <laughs> the only the only um, eastern tribes I really know are whatever I saw in Last of the Mohicans. And um, that's about it. Love that soundtrack. Do you, do you listen to it while you run? Yes. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. Reminds me of my sister-in-law's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baloney. That scene where that guy falls off or jumps. Somebody falls off the waterfall. They all jump out of the waterfall. Yeah. Or all three of them to escape. Do they? All three of them? They leave the um, the girls and Duncan. John Williams and the injured John, guys. Yeah. John Williams, he makes some good music. Mm-hmm. Also, listen to um, the Inception soundtrack. You know, I've never heard that. I've never listened to it. It's a good one. I like it. I like it in the thing. And, um, what else? A bunch of them. I didn't even know soundtracks were a thing that you can get the um, music. Tell younger and um, yeah, used to get them all the time. It's like, why? Why do you watch these? It's weird. But then I was like, oh. Dylan said, um, hey, you're going to watch that new, the new whatever, blah, blah, blah. This was back before we had the internet too, so like the world wasn't at our fingertips. Like the knowledge you had to have, you had to like actually go out and seek it. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, get that. Like, yeah, Wolfgang Peterson, man. Wolfgang Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> like you're just excited for the uh, composer, not really. <laughs> Do you like uh, that song, Carmina Burana? What is that? This one. Hmm. Uh-huh. Because you'll hear it. Kind of, um, it's a cool song. <laughs> I like it. It's very <laughs> popular, pretty well known. It's one of those songs where if you just hear the first bar or not even the, the first measure, then you already know what that song is. Yep. I hate those ones where they kind of fool you and you think it's a different song. It's instrumentals. It's what I like instrumentals and um, soundtracks, but I don't like classical music, which is really that seems like it's classical <laughs> music right there. It seems like it, but it's not. I don't like. I think it was forced upon me. Oh, forced yeah. upon us. Like I like this music. This is the best music. I'm like, no, it's not. It'll make you smarter. It's horrible. It won't make nobody smarter. You're on your way to washing dishes, and someone said, "Wash these dishes," and then just took the joy right out of it. <laughs> I don't like. I just don't enjoy the um, classical music. It makes um, Mac makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> <laughs> So, what else do we have? Running news. Got any running news? No. Neither do I. None whatsoever. Although it has we, been I lovely, have some late running lovely, news. Lovely weather to be running in, though. Yeah. Late running news, our Bulldogs did well. Yes. We've been so busy, we forgot to give them a shout out. Mm-hmm. The girls did well, and the boys did too, so mm-hmm. congrats. We were looking for that. What would have been, 5P? Something, but they still were... They still were top runners mm-hmm. in the state, and given given the circumstances, I think that it's pretty awesome. I think this year needs an asterisk. 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 Yeah. A lot of sports got canceled. Then that one team was it Laurel? I think it was Laurel, right? Man, the girls team—they were just—they were just a force to be reckoned with this year. Holy mackerel! They were like that Newtown team. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So congratulations to all the runners, but our local ones, as always, do well. For real. It's weird when um, there was a time, like say in Lodgegrass when they were always winning, that if they didn't bring home the hardware, they considered it maybe not the best, even though they're still. <clears throat> Shoot, one time I was basketball coach, and um, mm-hmm. oh, I think in districts, we got second. Divisionals first, and then we made it to state. Mm-hmm. And because we didn't win state, they canned us. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't care. We were undefeated all year. You're like Denzel Washington on Remember the Titans. Jeez, that was some high expectations. I and guess. Then, just down the street, there was another school, and they didn't make it to state for like four or five years, and same mm-hmm. dude had a job. <laughs> it's all about perspective. Talk about ex- expectations. Yeah. Like a t- bunch of tiger moms over there. <laughs> What's tiger mom? Mm-hmm. Remember, Tiger King. They don't. They don't. Um, they don't. Um, say like there's a mom. The kid, mom, look at this. I did good on my test. Well, you're supposed to do good. I'm not gonna give you praise for that. That's what you're supposed to do. That type of thing. Mm. <laughs> so that happens quite a bit. She was an Asian lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that's her, like a book or a show. Tiger mom. Tiger mom. Yeah. Do you think that's useful, though, to have high expectations? Realistic, but high expectations? I think so. Because um, I think maybe 
It's a real thing. I think you got to find a balance, though. There was that educational study where they took, it's probably not a good study to do now, but they did it back in the 50s or whatever, 60s, where they took some students who were all kind of mixed academically. Yeah. And they told one teacher, you have the high kids. And he didn't. He had regular kids. And then they told Mm -hmm. another teacher, you have the low kids. And they didn't. They had regular kids. And then at the end of the year, the teacher who thought he had really high kids, they were doing just excellent. Hmm. academically and the teacher who thought the kid wasn't doing good they weren't doing very well that's crazy so like people's expectations of you does affect you how were they able to get away with that let's do a science experiment it's probably back before the civil rights movement do that jason here well don't tell everybody else who they have like you just tell everybody that you have the high kids don't tell anybody you got the good group then go to the next teacher you got the really good group don't tell anybody (laughs) don't tell anybody you think they're going to talk. I think um, it was back in that time, though. I don't know when they were doing all sorts of weird experiments on people. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that one? Uh, was it brown eyes, blue eyes? What is that? There was a... Look it up. It's an anti-racist teacher where she does this experiment with kids and everybody with um, blue eyes, you have uh-huh. to treat them bad. And everybody with brown eyes, like they're the top of the class. And... Um, Pretty soon, basically, the people start being mean. Our kids. What was the point of it? <clears throat> the point of it was uh, kind of to expose bias and prejudice. Were they able to recover? Or just going I hate, so. Hating people with blue eyes. I hope eyes. so. I might have mixed up the colors, but many have brown eyes, so. I guess I wasn't. going to be t- the dominant. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> as long as it was like kind of a group of people, like mixed, like. And you could look at that stuff up. It's. I guess I'd rather be discriminated based on my eyes and not my race. The blue-brown eyes experiment, you could find that. It's uh, a lady named Jane Elliott. It's pretty pretty interesting. She was an educator, a diversity educator. She's, yeah. Diversity educator, brown eyes, blue eyes. Racist. Isist. <laughs> Isist. <laughs> Do you know the Isis believe that if you die at the hands of a woman, you won't go to... ISIS heaven, whatever they call it. Really? So there's a group. They better not come around here then because it's much. There's a, there's a group of women ladies. that they're just scared to death of because they, this woman, they form like a group, like a militia group, like warrior soldiers. Uh huh. And their job was to take them down. That's cool. Yeah. We need a militia around here. We do. Create a militia. To, um, a militia of some vigilantes or just kidding. I probably shouldn't be saying this. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget. <laughs> I forget sometimes. I don't think any of my constituents. I guess we should probably just go ahead and address the elephant in the room, huh? All right. So um, a lot of the... Maybe, yeah, well, where the heck say, have we been slacking on this podcast? Um, so I had to... I had to... Um, had to do a little thing. I had a calling, and I had to answer that call. And part of, the, part of it was that I had to kind of dedicate a lot of my time to that, to that endeavor. But I'm done. I'm not done with that, but I'm done with that. The demanding part of the endeavor. I don't know. All of us demanding, but you're done with the campaign. I'm done with the campaign. It was a busy campaign, and part of it, I wasn't able to carve out time for um, for the podcast and for running. So, and basically anything else. Thanks for granting me all that leave. That was great. Just kidding. <laughs> Can't deny what you earned. <laughs> and um, but, but yeah, I'm the uh, the new secretary for the Crow Tribe Executive Branch. Congrats. Thank you. Pretty sure you'll do a great job. I think, I hope I do. Yeah. But I fully intend to 
make room for the podcast and I run, I'm, this is my baby. It's hard because you have to, or for me, like you have to separate and I'm not a good separator of um, worlds. Like yeah. it's all mixed in together, but. Um, I think, I, I think I'm going to feel your pain now because I, I would see you struggling with certain things and then afterwards and then some of the conversations were. We'll have to do um, a, a snippet about the pressures of public life. We should. Yeah. And how we combat that with running. Yeah. How we keep level. I think I'm going to hire a psychiatrist. Just get, just get ahead of it. I'm going to keep my car maintenance and not wait for the check engine light to come on. You should hire me as your psychologist. You want to be my psychologist? We'll sit here and we'll air our... our <laughs> air our grievances. We need one of those little couches I hear those so I can lay on. One of those cool... I hypnotize. Is that the end of your running news? That's the end of our running news. So we got a special guest. I have a special guest. And um, this is a bonus episode, right? Bonus episode. So so we zoomed him in mm-hmm. after a very long two weeks. I think you were campaigning. So we're forgive us if we seem pretty tired during this. But he brought the energy and he was full of energy for the interview. And he has to be because he's what he does. I think he, I think there's a reason why he's able to do all the stuff that he does because he's I think he's just naturally full of energy. Full of energy. Talked about his diet a little. Mm-hmm. He's ran over 150 ultra marathons, winning a great deal of them outright. Just winning 100 mile races. Some of the ones that notable ones that he's run recently, he run the hard. He was the winner of the Hard Rock 100. Uh, Did he win Western States ever? He might have. I know he's been in the top 10 since for forever. I think we talked about that. Where um, if you get into the <laughs> <laughs> if you um so here's here's how it works if you run a if you run a qualifying 100 mile race you you earn the right to apply to be in western states then if you only have like one one ticket your chances are lower and the next year if you run a qualifying race you get to reapply to be in the lottery but your numbers double mm. kind of like exponentially but then i guess even at that rate the odds of you getting in is like seven twelve years I say we're going to get in the Western States. Uh-huh. So we, we were saying he, back then when he first got in, he just signed up. And um, after the boom, he said the lottery was so hard to get into that it was just easier for him just to stay in the top 10 because each top 10 finisher is automatic reentry. So he's just been a top 10 runner. Yeah, for it's, it's easier just to stay in the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> Your odds are better. He's a yeah. phenomenal athlete, though. He is. Phenomenal. Moved, moved to our kind of our area, our old stomping ground, so it's good. So some of the stuff we might talk about, mm-hmm. we're talking about forest fires a little, but so. Yeah, the forest, I hope you guys remember the forest fires back the in. The big forest fires <laughs> in California. <laughs> we're a little outdated, but you know, it happens, but good things come to those that wait, and I think this is an episode worth waiting for. Bronco Bailey is an amazing, I think, like to anybody in the know, his name isn't Bronco Billy, but it's Jeff Browning, but he gets into that. And um it's it's a ver it's a very like niche um group that we're in. And we're 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 mountain ultra trail runners and we that there's a professional level to what we do. And he's one of the professionals and one of the um one of the elite professionals and it was really he didn't have to be on our show. I mean he re- when he said yes, it was like if you're a basketball player and he asked Devin Booker, you know, want to be on my podcast? And I said, yeah. Who's Devin Booker? One of the new guys. Oh, I think I say like. Well, I'm trying to be relatable to the kids these days. Trying to relate to the younger audience. But us, it would be like, you know, we ask Craig Hodges, 
<laughs> Craig Hodges. He was a champion. John Paxson. He was three time. <laughs> I'm like Scotty Pippen or Dennis Rodman. Well, it's not Jillian Gordon, whatever. Jillian. Well, I guess Jeff Browning would have been an all star, huh? Jeff Browning's a bad. Oh. David Robinson? David Robinson, yeah. Akeem Olajuwon? Yep. I think if there was a Mount Rushmore, I don't think you'd argue with um, putting Jeff Browning on there. He's a professional runner, and he just. That would be cool. Yep, we have, we have a professional. A legit, honest to goodness professional. Yep. Cool. I'm happy about that. But, so, bonus episode next week, we'll start season two. Cool. Or whenever it comes out. Right? All right. Sounds good to me. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Browning. Well, we're pretty stoked that you agreed to jump onto the podcast with us. So, thanks for thanks for t- taking time out of your day and all that to be with us. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Well, we don't really have a format, so I guess we could start and just say, how, how are you? I'm good. I, I'm ready for the air quality to clear up in Bozeman, but um, so I can go outside and more exercise. But um, I've been on my indoor bike trainer for a couple of days. I'm injured at the moment, so I guess I'm not doing awesome, but um, <laughs> I bruised a, I bruised my metatarsal, one of my metatarsal heads on my left foot, so it's, it's a bone bruise, so it's slow oh, to heal because weight-bearing, but I've just been on my bike and my mountain bike, and I'm, I'm planning a, a bike pack adventure at the moment, and, um, you know, I you know, you gotta, you gotta make uh lemonade out of lemons sometimes. Yep. Yeah. Um, we did, we did the, what was that run called Levi when it was really smoky a couple of years ago out at Bozeman? It's, uh, the Ridge, the Ridge run. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think your mic's muted Levi. We can hear you Jeff and I can't hear yeah. Levi. Yeah, I'm not hearing Levi. Test. Test. Yeah, there we go. Hey, there you are. You I can hear you now. All right, there we go. I don't know. I'm technical difficulties. All right. I had a good question too. I was really mouthing off a question and Jason just interrupted <laughs> me, but apparently because he couldn't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so speaking of injuries, how do you deal with injuries? is it just like being patient or yeah I mean oh well okay this has been a good one for coaching because you know as a coach sometimes you have athletes that get injuries and um I hadn't really been a major injury in about a decade um I'd have little tiny things that I but I could get on top of within a week or so but not Mm. you know not like nothing like where it was like oh I gotta take six weeks off and not since the last decade um you know, I've been doing it 20 years. And, and so the first 10 years, I definitely dealt with some injuries, but I kind of was strength training and mobility and kind of worked those out over the years and just doing it consistently. Um, I just didn't have very many setbacks. And so when you're that far removed from a major injury mentally, it's yeah. sometimes hard to be, have, be in the same mindset that the person you're coaching has. So this has been really good for me. Um, I've used it as an opportunity for empathy and uh, <laughs> frustration and understanding that frustration and patience 
I mean, one of the things, I guess the biggest thing is you always go through a couple phases. And the first one is like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. I can run through this or I need a couple of easy days and then I'm going to run on it, but it's still bothering me, but it's going to be okay. And, and what you end up doing is, is by not kind of accepting that you're dealing with it and listening to your body, you end up prolonging the healing process because, you know, if you mess around and run on and on and off for two or three weeks, that's three weeks that you just wasted that you could have been just off of it and healing it. Um, mm-hmm. So my rule has always been with injuries or, or niggles with athletes is a two day rule. And that is cross train something that does not aggravate it at all. So if it's bothering you and you can, you can't run, but you could get on your bike and it doesn't bother it on the bike, then go bike for two days, then go test it around the block, you know, or up and around your yard and test or on a treadmill and test it out. And, And if it's still there on day three, you go back to two more days of cross training that doesn't aggravate it. And you keep doing that until you can be back on it again. And then you slow your ease yourself back into it. The, the other thing I have for me personally is like immediately get on anything that could help with healing. That means ice, heat, rolling, body work, if you can afford to do that, or if you have contacts, like that's what I usually do right away is like, uh, I, I usually get body work immediately, like soft tissue massage or something like that. And if that doesn't help, then I'll go to plan B, which is like very strategic stuff. And that might be me researching like what works for that particular issue. So mine was a bone bruise, but I, I didn't know it. And I had a little discomfort, like one, a scale of one to 10, like a one on my foot. And then I played soccer on it with my, my nephews and my kids for really hard. And it flared it up and it, it, it messed with the nerve that's, that's in your metatarsals, between your metatarsals that causes Morton's neuroma. So I had a Morton's neuroma symptom. So then I was like, okay, I'm dealing with Morton's neuroma. I went to a chiropractor here in Bozeman that specializes, works with Olympic teams and specializes in dry needling and, and grasp and technique and, and fascial manipulation. And, um, and he has a couple of like $25,000 machines in there that like can send shock waves and pulses through your foot. And I, so we got on that and after about three treatments, I realized, okay, the Morton's neuroma's healed up, but I still am sore. And that's when we realized it was bone bruise. Um, and so finally figuring out it's a bone bruise, then I have to be like, okay, well, I can't irritate this thing at all. You know, I have to try to not irritate it. So I'm wearing like super maximalist shoes and toe spreaders and, you know, doing everything I can to get it healed up as fast as possible. But it's a, it's more or less just patience though. I've only so had does, a- does it, So does it add like compounded being that you're a, I guess a professional, professional <laughs> runner and um, that's how you make your money. So like dealing with injuries and trying to come back, I'm sure it adds a little bit of weight to the, uh, yeah, I mean, luckily we're in this crazy year of, of I mean, of this crazy right. year with everything being canceled. So there's not re- a lot of pressure on me right now as far as like racing. Oh, that's so that's actually kind of a blessing. So for me, it's just like accepting that I got to deal with this and, um, you know, rolling with it. You know, there's a lot of, there. I try to have a good attitude about it, but there's times when I lose it and my wife's like, it's going to be all right. <laughs> You're going to be okay. And yeah. And I just like, ah, oh, I can't deal with it anymore. It hurts. Um, it hurts. It hurts, man. 
everything hurts. Emotionally, <laughs> it hurts. You know, my psyche I if, hurts. I guess if there was a time to get hurt, it would be now, huh? Or right? injured, I should say. Totally. And I guess for me, what makes me, I have to not dwell on this. And that's why I'm planning a bikepacking trip. Because fall in the mountains are my favorite time to like be connected in nature and like go witness that change of winter coming, but it's not quite here and it's just gorgeous out. And, you know, things are changing and like, you know, elk and deer are going to be in the rut and like there's all this cool stuff happening in the woods and I want to be out there like experiencing it firsthand. And, you know, I like doing that on foot, um, you know, very simple and pure and, um, I'll just have to do it mechanically on a bike this year. Well, I hope you heal up quick. It's all, it's almost there, man. It's like 90%. I, I mean, I've been off, off my feet. I haven't run for almost six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those bones Dang, that's are pretty serious. I've only had one. I think I was in sixth grade though. Long time. <laughs> we, decided- we heal up so fast at that age. It hurt. I, I remember. I, I remember the tears and the pain. I thought I had a broken arm, but it was just a bruise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did you get into running? Like, what's what's your story? Uh, well, you know, I grew up. I grew up on a farm in uh, Missouri, and so I was. You know, I've always been like running was more like you didn't think about it. It was just like a means of transportation on a seven hundred acre farm. <laughs> You know, it was like, I got to run to the Creek to meet some neighbor kids, you know, or I got to, you know, run to get dad at the back 40 or whatever. Um, and, uh, I kind of just grew up like playing traditional sports in the eighties and, um, you know, football and baseball and basketball and wrestling and, um, track and field and ran track in college or high school. And then I, I went to a bigger college and, um, was mainly a football player. Like that was my focus in high school. And I, I really wanted to be, you know, uh, I wanted to be a wide receiver and, and, uh, um, in college. And then I got some offers to go to like division three, division two for, for, for a wide receiver. And then I kind of at the last minute decided I didn't want to do that. Um, and I wanted to go to a bigger college. So I went to university of Missouri, you know, um, met my wife there and I got into mountain biking uh, in 93, uh, and just really embraced like that, that the mountain biking scene and like became like this, just like I geeked out. I worked at a bike shop, you know, I was like finagling my paycheck to get a pro deal on a bike and upgrade bikes. And, and then when I was, you know, um, I always was running on the side, like three days a week, four days a week, I'd run like 20, 20 to 40 minutes. Um, you know, when I was in college, I had a dog, so I would go get my dog out of the house and go run my dog two or three days a week. Um, did a lot of hiking. Moved to Colorado after college and really kind of got into climbing and backpacking. And I was trail running a little bit, um, not much, mainly mountain biking. And then when I moved to Bend, Oregon in 2000, I had a buddy that introduced me to ultra marathons. And that's, that was kind of my, like, that's when I really became like an active trail runner. And mountain biking started to take a back seat. I just really got into like, I think the combination of backpacking, multi-day backpacking trips that I'd done, climbing trips that I'd done, and then mountain biking trips that I'd done. I saw trail running and ultra trail running as like this hybrid mesh of all of those disciplines into one 
in a really simple, pure form. Like I really liked the idea of like going, oh, I'm going to run up to the top of that mountain today and come back and be back for dinner and have a beer, you know? And I, I thought I really found those things to be really like, like it was really uh, attractive to me to be able to like do that. And, and, you know, looking at those old backpacking trips where you're like, oh, I'm going to do this 30 mile loop in three days, you know, with a, with a big, you know, 60 pound pack on. Well, then you can go, well, no, I'm going to go do that in the next six hours and I'm going to see everything in that 30 miler. And then I'm going to be back and sleep in my own bed, you know? <laughs> so like, I really liked that. And, um, and so that's what really attracted to me to the sport in the first place. And then, you know, the whole scene of trail running is, as you guys know, like going to races, which we've really, I really missed this year with COVID, um, the whole you know social scene and how everyone's just so like accepting and, and it's like the fastest dude in the world can be hanging out with the back of the packer that came in last at the hundred miler and they're having a beer together at the end and laughing about it. You know, like what other sport can you do that with? Be with like the top elite and then hanging out with like the guy that, you know, has the nosebleed section can afford the nosebleed section seats, you know, in any other pro sport that doesn't happen. They don't even, they, you don't mingle with them. And I, that's what always I loved about the sport. And just you coming on our podcast too. That's a testament to yeah. the culture of this sport, you know? Yeah, man. I love it's hap- it. It's happening right now. <laughs> I love it, dude. It's so cool. Well, but I was that guy too. And I got into it in the early two thousands. Like I remember like I parked next to Scott Jurek. Uh, when after he won Western States in 2002 I did my first 100 was 2002 at Western States and I had run like 23 38 or something right and I was just you know I I was walking up to my car and he had a he had a Westphalia pop top and he's in there making food and I was parked right next to him so like his door was open to my car and I just sat there I was like whoa you know I'd only seen him in magazines and I was like that's Scott Jurek and and I and now I'm friends with Scott Jurek. It's like oh. <laughs> such a cool sport, you know, like and he was super down to earth and he like just asked me how my race was and you know and I I just was like that was kind of like that that hook, you know, that like hooks you in and and it was just kind of solidified after, you know, two se- that was my second season and in the sport and I was just like, wow, this sport's really cool. It's just like super approachable, down to earth. No one's stuck up. You know, it's definitely gotten more competitive and crazy and, and more pro the last five or five to seven years. But, um, you know, it's still a cool sport. Still got the heart. Yeah. Cause I imagine you, you were probably there from like a little bit of its infancy, maybe not the beginning, but I'm sure you've seen how much it's changed within the past few years. Right. Oh man. Big time. Like it's in, it's like another, it's another level compared to what it used to be. I mean, it used to be like, oh yeah, hundred mile or the race might start at like mile 60 or 70. Now it's like, nope, starts from the gun. You better be on the whole time. Um, if it's, I mean, if it's a big race like Western States or Hard Rock or, you know, stuff, those big races where there's a big field, like it's, it's super competitive and we got a lot of fast young guys coming up, you know, and, um, but it's exciting too. Mm-hmm. The, um, you're a, I think what I really appreciate about, I guess, what you're doing and what you're about, and I don't know you very well, but just what I see in your videos and what's evident and true is you're a family man. I am. 
So how do you, um, with the training you put in and all your obligations, you know, how do you balance that? Or Well, some days are hard, but, but I, I, I have always had, um, I've been, I've been self-employed since 2001. Um, so I, I have, I've, you know, in my career, I was a graphic designer. Now I'm a coach and athlete, but for all those years, I was a graphic designer balancing, trying to be an elite athlete. Um, you know, cause that's when there was, you know, the two thousands, there was no money in the sport at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. so if you weren't getting paid. You might be getting some free <laughs> shoes and free gear, but you weren't getting paid. Um, and so those early days, I just, I really, I, I, if you ask my wife, she's like, you know, how did he do it? She's like, I didn't really notice, you know, because I was like running at like 10 o'clock at night with a headlamp. And I was like, you know, running with a Bob stroller to put my kids to sleep when they're little. Um, and I was trying to like, not, you know, I was trying not to break into weekends and evenings. That was my rule. Like I, it's when the kids were, you know, like I had to work during the day. And I would try to sandwich a, a lunch run in or a night run after the kids were in bed or somewhere in that window or super early in the morning. But I've never been much of a morning person being a graphic designer. I'm more of a night owl. So I, I tend to stay up late. Um, and so I would, I would end up doing late at night. You know, I'd go out for a run at 1030 at night, midweek, you know, and get back at midnight. And then, um, and so I, I just kind of like, squeezed it in where I, the training in where I could. Um, I did start because I had a set was self-employed. This is something not everyone can do. I, I took Friday mornings off most of my ultra running career because I was self-employed. So I would work a night or two a week to make up for Friday mornings. And I would be out the door at dawn and I would do my long run on Fridays. So that way I would just have to do maintenance running on the weekend when, when my kids were young. Now my kids are like 18, 15, nine, like they have no, they don't want to hang out with dad on Saturday mornings. So I actually get to run on Saturday mornings now again. Um, but you know, they're doing their own thing on Saturday mornings. Like the, the nine year olds getting up watching cartoons and like playing Minecraft and I, and, and he's like, that's when he gets his screen time is Saturday morning. So he doesn't care about hanging out with dad at all. Um, so, you know, things are different now that I'm older and my kids are older, but, but during the younger years, it was definitely a juggling act for sure. Um, even running my own business. Cause as you know, when you're running on your own business, like you're always on, like you always have to think about business. Where's the next paycheck coming from? You know, like, am I going to have enough this month to make the mortgage? You might, you know, or, cause it's feast and famine. I was contract basis graphic designer. So, you know, sometimes you're making, you know, tons of money in a week. And sometimes it was like, it's a feast or famine a lot of times in, as a contractor. So, um, you know, sometimes I was really busting my rear and working 70 hour week, work week. And the next week I might have 20 hours worth of work. So those, I just, I kind of, I kind of tried to flow with the ebb and flow of the career. So, you know, I, I would run more maintenance in the weeks I was super busy. And then I would like, intuitively like, Oh, I only have 25 hours worth of work with this week. Well, I'm going to do like three long runs, um, you know, or whatever. So I would just kind of like go according to schedule during that time. And now that I'm a coach, I mean, uh, I, I just, I, I've gotten a habit of like, I, I put all my calls in the mornings mainly and I take lunch off 
a long lunch every day. Um, cause coaching's never really turns off cause people are like texting you during the week- weekends and nights. And so I just take my middle of the day and I like, I'm gone. I go, I go to get my workouts in and then I'm back, you know, working a little late in the afternoon and in the evening sometimes. Um, and I usually still work at night a, a few times a week, um, as well. So, you know, I, I'm flexible, I guess that's the hardest part when people ask how you do it all with a job and kids and family. The flexible schedule helps a lot. I, I think um, you must have a pretty high level of self-discipline because it seemed like I depended on the regular work schedule. Just It was like kind of like Groundhog Day when my runs were. And then yep. when we, we were kind of um, on the quarantine and everybody had to stay home, it was really hard. To, I had all this free time and it was, it was just different to force myself to go out and run. It does take discipline, and, and I'm not going to lie. myself an hour later like geeking out on like the tour de france or something online or you know or whatever it is i think that's you know that's that kind of human nature and and so for me i've always one thing that's helped me is have a dry erase board right next to my workstation so like i can make notes i make to do daily to-do lists like okay i need to knock these things off and so trying to have the discipline to like and i find i work better in the mornings when i'm fresh coffee done but i start working you know if i if i wait and let everything happen at four or three or four in the afternoon i'm just like eh, not motivated so you got to know yourself too and know like when you have to put your head down and you have you do have to be intentional you do have to say kind of be your own i don't know for lack of a better term drill sergeant or something you know you're like hey get this done man you got to get it done um but, you know, I just keep myself on, like, milestones every day when I, with, with coaching because you're writing coaching plans. So I try to keep my coaching plans, you know, the people I talk to that day, I write their plans. So I'm talking to them. I'm writing their plan. That way, at the end of that day, the people I talk to are done. So I can't leave my workstation that day. So if I go for my run and I haven't got all my plans done for the day, I've got to come back that night at some point and catch up. And so I keep myself on that kind of a, 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 a disciplinary, you know, action too. So it, it's tough oh, yeah. though, man. I mean, you do have to be disciplined and, and, it, and you have to find your own habits if you work at home. Like over the years, I've, I've tried all kinds of different ways and I just have, I have a system now that works for me and I'm used to it and I got my own space, you know, and it's a garage studio space. It's a heated garage. And so, you know, one bay of my garage is like a workout studio bike storage, gear storage, and stand-up desk, you know, so. How many athletes do you, do you coach? Uh, usually somewhere around mid-30s. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, about 30, 30 to 35 athletes most of the time. I find that that's a pretty, a-, good, a pretty good number for me for full-time um, as far as just, like, keeping track of everybody and, Um, luckily, you know, being a graphic designer for so many years, I was, you know, you had to be on deadlines and projects and shuffling multiple projects with multiple deadlines and multiple, um, issues going on all at the same time. And sometimes you'd have 25, 30 projects in limbo. Um, and so all that, you have to learn how to run a production schedule. So when I'm running my, my coaching, I I really have everybody kind of in three buckets. So each week I'm only really dealing with about a third of my athletes. 
So I'm really only dealing with about 13 to 14, maybe 12 athletes a week that I'm really honing in on and looking at, at what data they're dealing with. And then I'm, I'm kind of, you know, and then the next week I'm kind of dealing with the other third and the next week I'm dealing with the other third. Um, and then there's, you know, and, and then if there's like issues with one of those people that are not in that bucket, I, I have plenty of bandwidth to deal with it. So I'm kind of always like kind of sh like looking at them in buckets. Um, and that tends to help me. I don't know whether I'm coming at it from like a graphic design production schedule <laughs> perspective, but. People try to, you know, reach goals and figure out, you know, everyone's a puzzle and everyone's different. You know, where their background, how much history they have in running, how long they've been running, you know, injury history, sport, their prior sport history. There's so many little puzzle pieces and everyone's unique. And so nothing cookie cutter necessarily works. So you, you definitely have to like kind of customize for everybody. Real puzzle. Have you found like there's any like any uh, workouts or anything that are kind of universal? Yeah, now? absolutely. Like normal workouts, like, you know, tra mm -hmm. training, like, you know, our easy run zone one, zone two heart rate, you know, mm -hmm. is pretty universal or the long run, you know, um, and strength training mobility. But what I mean by is like how much someone can handle, you know, how much okay. volume they can handle per week, how much speed work, you know, everyone's totally different. Um, how much even strength training some people can handle. Cause some people will come at it. You know, I definitely prescribed a, to, to a, a, a regimen of strength training program, you know, weekly and mobility. And, and some people have never really even a, just been a runner and that's all they do is run. And they've never taken any of that other stuff on. And when they do, there's an adaptation phase that has to happen during that time um, for a while before they get used to that new stressor. Um, so everyone's different, right? I can't just like, I can't get some people I can give a really like, uh, uh, more advanced strength training program to, and, and because they have a background in strength training, other people need to be spoon fed exactly what they need to do and how they need to do it. So I do a lot of videos, how to videos and that kind of stuff on strength training, because I, I come from a strength training background. I've been strength training since I was in eighth grade. Um, you know, and I was kind of a, a strength training meathead in college. You know, I really was into like lifting weights um, and trying to, as they say, get yoked. Um, <laughs> I totally wanted to be huge, but I, I don't have the frame to be huge. I, I'm 5'9", 142 pounds, and uh, I'm a wiry little dude with really long arms. And anybody knows bodybuilding, you need short arms to look big. Um, so... I, I just, I, at some point I, I, I accepted that I was a better endurance athlete than I was a, a bodybuilder. So I just started using it to supplement endurance. Wanted to be swole, huh? Yeah, I totally wanted to be swole, man. <laughs> I totally, I wanted to be that dude with the huge, you know, like no, no neck, 18 inch arms. Uh, I remember telling a girl in, when I was in freshman year in high school, my naivety was just oozing. I was like, you watch by the time I'm a senior, these arms, she had like a knee brace on, you know, those old like neoprene knee braces. I said, my arms will fill out that. <laughs> what I didn't realize was that all the muscle and fitness magazines I was buying at the time, all those guys were doing steroids to get that big, you know, it wasn't natural. And so I never got that big, of course. I never filled out the, the knee sleeve. Yeah. 
think we've all wanted those He-Man muscles. Totally, man. Exactly. <laughs> no. So, are, are most of your is most of your coaching virtual, or do you have any locals? Or I have one all? local athlete here in Bozeman, um, but everything's everything's virtual. Yeah, we do you know video video conferencing, um, text, email, uh, all that. Yeah. Hold on. The motion detector um, hasn't seen Levi move in a while, so the light. <laughs> That's rad. <laughs> the um, motion sensor. What about um, health and maintenance? Like we were talking about previous, like whatever we put in your body really affects you. And just what's your approach to that? And how, what would you encourage somebody who hasn't eaten healthy? Well, I, I think that the easiest way I tell people, it, I mean, at least the way I eat, um, you know, I changed my, I, I did a, a shift in my diet about five years ago. Um, you know, I was a vegetarian in my 20s. And then that wasn't really working. I was losing muscle mass, you know, becoming from a, a training background of like strength training and, and cycling, I was losing muscle mass at, when I first became an ultra runner and I was a, a vegetarian. Um, I did that about seven years. And, in, and then in my late twenties, uh, excuse me, in my early thirties. So my late, my mid twenties through my early thirties, I was a vegetarian. And then in my early thirties, um, my wife and I went back to eating like clean, like grass fed meats and natural meats. And, and like, we, we kind of cut out processed food and we were doing things like soaking our grains and soaking our legumes and, and eating sprouted grains and, and trying to like eat organic as much as possible. And, um, and we did that for about 12 or 13 years. And in my, in my mid forties, when I was 44, uh, the season of 2015, I had some health problems and, um, I just wasn't feeling great, man. I, I, I kind of, that year I looked at my wife and I was like, after a hundred miler, I was like, you know, it was probably after like my, my 22nd hundred miler. And I was like, I, I just don't know if I can keep doing this very much longer. I, you know, I was kind of talking about retirement from, from actively racing and competing. And, um, and then I, I was like kind of dealing with this health issue in, in late 2015, I was doing some, um, dietary research on the issue and i came across uh, a bunch of forums on kind of paleo primal blueprint hunter gatherer diets dealing with the issue i had and i pushed back after about 30 hours of research and said you know what i, I need to change my diet to a paleo diet and my wife was like i got two cookbooks you know and um <laughs> so she was totally in and so we kind of just right there like quit, quit eating grains and sugar in our everyday diet. And, um, kind of went to like paleo, uh, Nutrivore, primal blueprint, whatever you want to call it. There's a whole bunch of different names. Um, but basically primal blueprint is what I kind of started following is that diet. Um, you know, marksdailyapple.com. And I just really like had great, great luck with, with that diet. And I, I lost weight on it even as an elite athlete at the time, you know, I lost like eight pounds, um, which was like 5% of my body weight, which any, anybody knows about, you know, if you lose weight, if you can lose weight as an endurance athlete, you, your VO two max goes up. So, you know, that was a performance benefit. Um, you know, and I kind of started learning about fat adaptation and like fat metabolism and hunter gatherer diets and like how, uh, you know, ketosis was a natural part of the cycle 
of annual eating, you know, of seasonal eating. And we would go into like winter and spring and early summer when things weren't ripe as hunter gatherers, we would, we would like go into ketosis and we'd mainly burn onboard fat and, and we mainly eat animal products, you know, and, and not much vegetables and not much, you know, not much, maybe some root vegetables, but not much. And then, then we, when things were ripe, we kind of gorge ourselves, gain a little weight before winter and then go back through that cycle again. And so I cyclically kind of take myself into kind of like lower carb moments where I go really low carb. I'm in one of those right now where I'm basically almost carnivore. Um, you know, I just ate like a 14 ounce grass fed ribeye for, for lunch today and nothing else. Um, and, uh, and I ate oh, four eggs for breakfast and that, I haven't had anything but protein and fat today. Um, wow. from animal products. So you know, like, but I, but what I'm finding is, is like, for me, the health benefits were like huge, like my recovery, my inflammation, my weight maintenance, all like panned out. Um, the issue I was dealing with health wise went away. Um, and I feel great. I feel like 20 years younger and my performance went up, you know, the last five years, if you look at my performance, even compared to the five years prior, you know, and I've been in the sport 20 years, like I should have been performing better in my late thirties, early forties than I am now. Wow. And, and I'm performing better in my late forties than I was, were, was during that kind of prime window of ultra running. So I think there's something to it. I mean, for me, I, I kind of believe in it wholeheartedly just based on my own N equals one experiment. But, um, I feel like, you know, we're supposed to eat we are not that far removed from hunter gatherer, you know, our entire human race. And, you know, the anthropological record shows that. And I, I, that, that's why I don't think we can get away from our genetic DNA blueprint. Um, you know, we're, we're meant to eat that way and our, our health improves and, and almost across the board. I wouldn't say every single person, but I'd say most people's biomarkers will improve by eating some form of a hunter gatherer diet. Um, a balanced hunter gallon. You need to have vegetables and you need to have fruits in your diet. Um, obviously, but, but you don't have to have the, the high amounts that everyone's toting. In my opinion, I think you can get a bunch of stuff from well, uh, what I would say responsibly and sustainably raised animal products. I'm not for the commercial, you know, uh, beef and pork industry. Yeah. I think that's a dirty industry. Um, for sure. I, I'm, I, I don't like to support commercial beef, but I do, I do think supporting local ranchers and local grass fed beef and local grass fed bison and elk and stuff, really stuff that was supposed to be native to the here, you know, bison and elk. I, I'd like to see more and more of those kind of ranches personally, just because I think that's, that's going to be healthful. And, and some of the cool side things that we're seeing out of that movement, right, is like some of the study, scientific studies that have come out on soil and carbon footprint. And, and we're seeing like that grass-fed herbivores, that if you look at the whole life cycle of the animal is carbon negative. And I think that's a really interesting kind of conversation piece to have about sustainability of the planet. You know, that our hunter-gatherer, like all that middle swath of North America that used to be giant prairie that we've taken to corn, soybeans, and wheat that we're spraying, 
you know, we have to, we have to water and take more water out of an aquifer that mother nature's putting back and polluting waterways and killing animal habitat, small mammal habitat and bird and insect habitat. And where if we would take just a portion of that and wild mimic herbivores on it again, you know, well, I'm not saying like we have to open it up to be wild again, but, but cause I don't know if that's feasible in today's technology and everybody owns private property and, you know, but at least like take those, some of those farms back to like partial rotating of those animals on grass and do it in a wild mimic pattern, how animals herbivores would move through the landscape and, and eat that grass down and, and, you know, defecate and urinate and make it like, you know, really help that land grow soil and that becomes a giant carbon sink and it offsets the entire life cycle of the animal plus some. And if you look at even the whole life cycle, I think it's the white oak pastures study um, on their herds that they looked at even the, their, all their fossil fuel use with tractors and machinery on the farm. If they look at the life cycle of the cow, it offsets their carbon footprint by 85%. Wow. So not only animal, but also some of their fossil fuel use by 85%. So it's a huge, this is, an, uh, this is something that the, the mainstream narrative never tells us, you know, it, this is, it's getting, that narrative has been pushed and pushed on us and pushed on us that we're, we're we need, we've got to get rid of animals. And, and I don't believe with that. I, I mean, animals are part of the natural landscape and, and herb, big herbivores on prairie. We've lost 80% of our natural grasslands. And I know I'm getting on my soapbox here, but I, I'm passionate about this part because, you know, everybody always criticizes meat eaters. And, and I would say we're actually the, we're the conservationists, we're the environmentalists, we're the ones that are going to save the planet if it, people can get a hold of what, how mimicking how Mother Nature's built. Yeah, I agree with that. I know that there was a lot of tribes that used controlled burns previously. Yes. And, um, like they would have a controlled burn in one area knowing that the next season that's where the grasslands would grow and that's how they would control the deer and elk herds. So because the deer and elk herds would go to that spot, right? And so they always knew where the wildlife was going to be. and Based did, on where they burned the year before. Yep. So they controlled wildlife that way and conserved it. So I believe that. That's pretty cool. That's a really interesting point because I was just doing some reading this morning on controlled burning. And that's the one thing that if you look at like all these wildfires that are going on right now, one thing we have not done a very good job of, even though we talk about it, but we don't actually fault the National Forest Service doesn't really follow through with it. And that is con controlled burning. So if we go say thin something, yeah, great. Thinning's a great idea around private property, right? If there's national forest around private property. But the problem is, is like, that's only good for like six months. And then it's like, it's going to be a, a fuel problem again. You have to control burn like every year or every other year or every third year. And if you don't do that, there's just going to be a bunch of underbrush that grows up and it's going to be fuel again. So if you're going to protect it, you have to burn. It ha thinning has to go with controlled burning. And controlled burning is a natural part of the landscape. And, and it's also something, right, that, that indigenous people have done for thousands and thousands of years. Every year when you came out of like the higher country down to like where you're going to winter, you burn stuff in the fall. Yep. And it was awesome because then the next year everything comes back really healthy. I know the tribes in California used to have seasonal um, controlled burns, but then the feds told them they couldn't do it no more. And 
now we're kind of thinking, hey, there was a reason for that. Yeah, there is. There's a really good reason for that. Um, they were doing the right thing. And, you know, until we get back to that and, and being able to like actually have people that teams that specialize in controlled burning, that that's what they do. They know how to control it. They can do the, you know, looking for the right conditions. And then they're like traveling around doing those burns can, you know, whoever it is, whoever handles that, but it's gotta be an organized thing that happens for us to ever kind of get away from this because we've got 150 years of fire suppression, you know? And as long as we have that, it's mismanagement at the end of the day. It's a bunch of mismanagement of our forests because we haven't, we haven't let fires burn at all. Levi here used to be a firefighter. We actually used to do controlled burns over here up in our mountains. And um, I remember dragging the fire through, but anyhow, the next year when you go back, man, it look, it look, not only did it reduce the, um, the fuels, but when you went back later, in the it looked like a park out there. It was like nice. It wasn't like all overgrown or it was like yeah, nice it's gorgeous, place to right? After control, <laughs> I, 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 there's a place in Oregon where I used to live, and they controlled burned this one area like very well every year. And every time there was a wildfire, it never got close to. It would come up to the border of their property, but it would never affect the property because it was so because they kept on it like as a as a policy around their property and and it was and they thinned and so you know it was ponderosa pines so ponderosa pine forest is only supposed to have 20 to 40 mature trees an acre that's not very many hmm. and you know a lot of times if you go to like say bend oregon where i was for 20 years like there's 300 trees an acre you know because it's because we've had zero you know like we've been suppressing fire for 150 years and there's so much under so much overgrowth that it makes everything weak um, and we haven't let fires naturally go through. So, um, I think controlled burning is, is the future if you ask me in conservation, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. You know, there's a lot of politics involved there. Whole firefighting industry out there. Yeah. Right. And there is a whole firefighting industry that makes a lot of money every year on wildfires. So how did you end up with them um, over in, uh, Oregon, Uh, my wife and I moved west to Denver after college. I, I was kind of chasing a, you know, working for ad agency in, in, in Colorado. And then her family um, retired around the northwest and around Seattle. And I, we were kind of looking for a mountain town to move to. And we kind of ended up finding Bend, Oregon. And she found a job for an internet startup. And I was kind of remote. I was working uh, telecommuting for an ad agency out of California at the time. Um, and was able to work kind of early telecommuter from home in 2000, 2000, 2000 and moved to Oregon. And that's how we got stuck there. And then I got laid off in the dot-com bust of 2001. And I just, I, I, t I negotiated all my equipment out of my severance. I had all this equipment from this ad agency at home. And I just like, you know, negotiated that as part of my, my termination contract and, um, started freelancing and did that ever since. And, you know, launched my coaching business about five years ago. And, uh, so been kind of self-employed for man, almost 20 years now, I guess. Or. So it was just more of more of a happy, happy coincidence that it seemed like a lot of the places you lived were had a really strong running community. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. like Bend had a great running community and that really like, you know, uh, it was like this giant mentor community, um, that really helped me come up as an ultra runner. Um, 
And I didn't really, I kind of took it for granted until I moved away from there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that how deep of a running community that was. Um, and we had so many good athletes there and, and part of the ultra running community that have been ultra running since the eighties. And, um, you know, that, that was a really cool scene to be in for, you know, 17 years of my life and since running. Um, but you know, that's one of the reasons that Bozeman was a pick, you know, cause they have a strong running community here. And, uh, when we were moving, we kind of picked Bozeman. That was one of the considerations was like, I, we had a list of things we wanted when we were moving and I, kind of got us here as well so it was a you just um, wanted to move or was it a job or there, are, there are there are multiple reasons for the move um i have family in, i have family uh -huh. in kansas city area and my parents were kind of in poor health and we're in a rest home and i wanted to be able to kind of be in the middle and my wife's family oh, Seattle, okay. so i we kind of wanted somewhere in the middle and we picked utah for two years but um we we just didn't we never felt settled there and, um, and, and they didn't have a, there wasn't like a, there wasn't that big, big specialty running shop or running community. There was a small running community there and which I'm still tight with those people and, um, all the people that run the bear 100 and, um, and I'm going to volunteer there next, next weekend for bear, um, run an aid station, help run an aid station, but, um, and help Mark course. But, but, you know, I, I think for us, we were, we were missing, um, my son was a climber and, um, and he's got wanted to go to, he wanted to go to Montana state. And, um, that was one of his, his top picks for colleges and go cats. Go cats. Yeah. Go cats. Exactly, man. And so we were like, we weren't sure, you know, like, do we stay in Utah and let him go to Montana? But we were kind of not feeling settled in Utah. And, um, we were looking for a town that was a little more like bend, not, completely you know bend had blown up but we were looking for mm -hmm. something similar kind of an outdoor town that had a little bit of a restaurant scene and a, and a running scene um and we'd been to bozeman before and so we really liked it and i knew mike wolf really well and um you know we were friends and just friends through running and so i i kind of hit him up and i i we kind of checked out missoula and we checked out um bozeman and uh trying to get my son in-state tuition by the time he is ready for college. He's a senior this year. And, um, and so we ended up picking Bozeman and that's a nice spot you're in right now. I sure like it. Yeah. I was yeah, man, it's a good town. It's expensive, but, yeah. but it's a good town. <laughs> that, yeah, that's the only downside. I was thinking, all right, Jeff Browning moved to Bozeman and so did Logic. <laughs> Wait, Logic lives in Bozeman? That's what I was thinking. So I was pretty excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah go cats i'm a cat i think levi's a did cat you to, did you go to montana state yeah i went to montana state and adjunct adjunct for them sometimes cool and just a lot of good yeah, me and my wife both went there too yeah it's a cool town man i like it and i know it's growing like crazy but you know um i think as long as you're like you know as long as everyone's involved as much as they can be in the community and um, trying to make it a good livable place and smart growth and as much as possible, as fast as it's growing, but you know, it's a good town. 
it's got a good vibe. I really like. I like the um, the steaks over there at Bozeman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do have good steaks. Uh, have you have you run the rut? Speaking of Mike Wolf, um, I no, I was supposed to this year, um, but it got canceled. I was last year. I was supposed to do the trifecta, and I overdid it sprinting against my kids about a week before the race. I was supposed to be tapering <laughs> and I was doing a sprint contest with my nine year old. Like I give him a head start uh, on this pathway that goes around this pond in our park, our local park. And, and so I give him like a hundred, hundred, 200 meter start and it would be like a quarter mile. And I'd be like, I, you know, I count down and, and, and I'd go release downs and I'd like take <laughs> off and try to catch him. And I was, I just, he was getting fast. Like he had found his speed last year from his previous self, you know, like when kids, you know, you know, when they're that, at that eight, nine year old age, if you have kids, I don't know if you guys have kids, yep. um, but there's some point where their speed goes from like slow kid to like, Whoa, kids got wheels. And he just had another gear. And I was like having trouble reeling him in. And so I was like pushing really hard. And I like, I like kind of like, you know, if you're pushing too hard and you're not really warmed up, like I would arch my back a little bit overreach with my stride and like really tighten my low back up and SI joint. And I was like sore, like SI joint was sore. And it was like three days before the rut. I was like, Oh crap, that was stupid. You know? And so I had to call Mike, the mics up and say, Hey, I, uh, I gotta back out, man. Cause I was supposed to do, uh, <laughs> I was supposed to, I, I was supposed to do a bear 100 and, and that was supposed to be just a trainer for bear like three weeks out. And, um, I was like, I got to back out, man. I, I kind of embarrassed, but I was sprinting against my kid and I'm like, I'm kind of injured. And I was running the next week, but I had to take like four or five days of like cross training to get body work and like to get on top of it. So I ended up showing up at the rut and hanging out, but I, and what, and my son did the kids run the nine-year-old who freaking put me in the, ringer but uh yeah I, so i haven't i haven't officially done it yet I, I i'm really psyched to do that race how many times you do it jason i've done it twice i told I, think I did twice too yeah, we've done it twice they didn't give, they, huh 50k yeah the 50k cool we suffered twice <laughs> the, the second time I was, second time i was wondering like climbing up the lone peak i was like now I remember why I didn't want to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man. It's, it's funny about ultras, right? It's like, it hurts in the moment. And you're like, why am I doing this? But then when you're done, you're glad you did it. And you're like, you bask in the accomplishment and then you quickly forget the pain and you sign up the next year. Yeah, that's how it goes. What was, what was your first hundred and how old were you? Uh, I was, uh, my first hundred was 2002 Western States. I was 30 years old. How, so back then, how, how did, was it still lottery back then or how did that work? Yeah, there was a lottery, but it was 50% chance to get in. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was literally the flip of a coin. It was like, man, I got in the first year, you know, it was like, it, it was crazy, man. And then, then I waited about five years to try to get in again. And that's when it like, like something happened, you know, where it just went through the roof 
and as far as entries. And by the time I tried to start getting back in, in like 2006, um, 2007, I, it, it, it took me seven years to get in again. And I didn't get in again. It wasn't actually in the lottery. It was because Ultra had become a sponsor and they got two slots and I grabbed one of the slots. So in 2016. So like I, I went I did it in 2002 and then I did it again and finally got in again in 2016. Is that why you just made sure you, you were in the top 10 all those years? Exactly, man. It's a huge motivator, man. <laughs> you know, when you're in the pain cave in the last 20 miles and there's a dude like a minute back and there's a guy a minute in front of you and you're like, man, if I fail, fade at all, I'm going to go back three <laughs> spots. Um, it, you know, it's a good motivator, you know, to, to know that like I, the chances of getting back in is like slim, um, you know, it could take you 10 years to get back in or 20 years. So yeah, that's kept me motivated to stay in the top 10 for, you know, four years straight. So what do you, what was, what do you know now about hundreds that you wish you knew then before you first hundred? I overate in the first one. I yeah. ate way too many calories. Um, I lube, <laughs> lube. <laughs> I learned about lube in the first one. That was a bad one, man. You don't want to not have, know about lube, and you you always lube <laughs> before it becomes an issue. So little hint, you stop right then and you lube. You don't wait. <laughs> That's all I'll say about lubing. Um, and then uh, I think nutrition was a huge one, like like electrolyte balance, sodium um, balance, um, and nutrition of like not eating too much. You know, I eat so much less now than I did back then. I just like ate everything at the tables, and I didn't even, you know, I'd come in and I'd drink Coke, and I'd eat cookies and eat Cheez-Its and, you know, whatever there was. And now I'm really strict about what I have. Um, I'm very regimented and I'm kind of planned out and I stick to it. And even if I'm looking at something going, Oh, that looks good. I'm like, Nope, don't eat it now. Wait till after the race, you know? So, um, I, I'm pretty disciplined now about, and then I'm very like, uh, methodical and uh, about what I'm doing, you know, how many calories per hour, how much liquid per hour, how many, how much sodium per liter, you know, those kind of figures are all kind of dialed in now. So what do you, what do you use? Do you have like a specific, like what you use to, to feel yourself? Um, well, I'm you know, full disclosure, I'm sponsored by goo, you know? So, yep. um, I, I take, uh, uh, I use goo roctane, like non-caffeinated grape. So my baseline, I just, you know, one of my bottles or flasks, I always carry two flasks or I carry two handheld bottles, depending on the race. Um, if I'm carrying a pack or if I'm carrying, you know, handhelds like Western States is handhelds cause it's so hot. Um, uh, so I'm usually about 125 calories, 150 calories, um, in one bottle of Roctane and then water in the other. And I just sip every two to five minutes and I, you know, another, it's one scoop of Roctane and I do one scoop of Roctane between every aid station. Um, that's kind of an IV drip of calories. And then I'll maybe take 10 to 14 gels over the course of the whole race, kind of more strategically. So those will be like, you know, big climb coming up. I'll pop a gel at the base of the climb because I know my heart rate's going to creep up during the, that effort. Or if I'm pushing at the end, um, I might pop extra gels um, here and there. I'll eat a few, you know, goo chews, the little gummies uh, here and there. Um, 
and a little fruit at the tables and maybe a little salty broth at night in a hundred, if it's a longer race, like a mountain race, but um, pretty much sticking to like a piece of fruit at every aid station. And that's pretty much it. You know, a little how, bit how of every two hours. And then uh, I'll take some ketone esters. I'm, I'm sponsored by both of those guys too, HBMN and mm. for ketone esters and uh, uh, Vespa. So I'll use Vespa, you know, kind of as a supplement every two hours during a race. And then, you know, maybe three servings of ketone esters during a race as well. How do you, how do you deal with the, um, the mental fatigue like towards the end of a race to stay diligent with your, your nutrition? Well, I find if, I, if I find if I'm, you know, my electrolyte balance and, and nutrition and hydration is kind of on point. If I've stayed on that, usually brains there pretty well. If I've managed that, um, for me, like, uh, I really practiced, I try to practice being positive the whole race, positive mental speak, um, motivational speak, meaning, you know, stuff like you can do this. Um, you're strong, <laughs> you know, like affirmations, um, I think those are important and, and, and you do have negative thoughts during hundreds and, and low points, but not giving like, I look at it, I think of it like a plant, you know, like, like you're going to, you've got soil and you can put a seed there. Right. And you, and those, those thoughts are seeds. And if you let your emotions take over, then you're going to walk is, 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 is the thought pattern. If you dwell on it, letting your emotions drive it and, and letting that thought pattern continue you're going to, that's like watering that seed. Right. And so if it's a positive thought, which will evoke positive emotions, you're watering that and continuing to water that. Now, if you have a negative one and you let that, you water that negative seed, you're going to get bad fruit. And so you don't want to get bad fruit right during the race. So you need to practice that. And I, and I coach people and I'm not, I'm not perfect by any means, but I try to like be positive as much as I possibly can. Now, if you ask my wife, she'd probably say, yeah, he doesn't do that great of a job all the time. Um, I'm human. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I strive to like, you know, try to like think positively or in, 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 in your daily life. Cause if you can practice it in your daily life, then, you know, if you're in traffic and someone cuts you off and you, your thought pattern is like, ah, oh, that's so-and-so, that's negative, man. You're watering that like bad fruit seed, right? It's going to produce bad fruit because it's, it's based on anger. It's based on, you know, it's self-centeredness because I'm thinking about only myself. I'm not thinking about that person that cut me off who they may be like having to get home to a sick kid who might be dying. I don't know. I don't know what their story is. So I'd rather try to spin that positive in my own head and say, oh yeah, go by all means, get in front of me. You must be in a rush. I'm not in a rush. You know, and if you can do that in your everyday life, then when you get to mile 80 and it's really hard, you'll still be able to do that. But if you haven't practiced it when it's, when you're sitting in the comfort of your climate controlled vehicle, you're not going to be able to do it in mile 80. So you have to practice it in your everyday life and, and as much as you can. And you're going to have bad days where you're not going to do it right, you know, and you just have to be okay with that and be like, you know what, stop, turn from it and go do it the right way you know? And so I, I strive to do that on a daily basis. Do I do it perfect every day? Heck no, you know, <laughs> but, but you have to try. And I think that is a correlation to like ultras and hundreds and long races is that there's that emotional, like 
down that you get and you have to be able to like say find some way to spin it to the positive during that moment you know whether it's like looking up at the like view whether it's saying you know what like so be it man what's up my good friend pain like <laughs> high five um we're gonna do this you know or whatever it is so um I don't know, man. It's, you definitely have to stay in the positive place for these hundreds for sure. It's, it's so mental for, for the second half in any race because every race is relative, right? If you've trained and you're ready for a 50 K, a 50 K is long. You know, if you've trained for a hundred, a hundred, hundred long, you know, it, it's all relative to what mentally you're ready for and what you've trained for. So, you know, that last 10 miles of a 50 K can be really, really freaking hard. And, um, you have to be able to stay in that positive place. That's, that's some good How do you, life advice too. It is, man. It really is. And, I, and it's hard because uh, here's one thing that's really cool to me and this helps me. I don't know if it'll help anyone else, but I'll, I'll give you the one thing that's cool about one thing we understand now about neuroscience, all right, is that when we, when we, think, when we take, say, a thought and we dwell on that thought and then we have emotions around that thought, it becomes a, like a little pea-sized dot in our brain, okay? And as we continue to think that way and dwell on that, it sprouts little tendrils. And those are proteins being sent to that neuropathway in your brain to make it a more and more pronounced pathway. And as you continue to do that over and over and over again, it becomes a tree-like structure with branches, and that becomes an automated neuropathway that gets passed on to the, through the sperm and the egg up to four generations. Mm. And that's trippy. Like, that our, what, how we react to something and let our emotions, if we let our emotions run wild and re, just are reactionary all the time, we're passing that on to our great, great, great grandkids. That's a big, huge responsibility. And so for me, that's really helped me to try to understand like the, how, how I need to be responsible about how I react. And, and like I said, I don't always do it right because I have all these automated pathways that were passed on to me from the last four generations they're reactionary. My father was very reactionary. You know, I love him to death. God rest his soul. He's gone. He's passed on, but he was super reactionary. And, you know, and I have that automated pathway built into me and I have to overcome it. I have to like consciously like stop, take a deep breath. You know, sometimes it takes having, if I still have it in my pocket, my gratitude rock that's in my front pocket. You know, like every time I put my hands in my pocket, I have to like say things I'm grateful for. You know, I write touch the rock. So like I keep it in my pocket and I put it out with my wallet at night and my keys and then I put it back in my pocket. And, and so you, you have to like, and sometimes I go like months without using this thing. I'll leave it on my dresser and I won't pick it up. And then every once in a while I'll have a really bad day and I'll be like, ah, I got to get the rock back out. Um, and so little things like that, you know, that's this, all this is represents being intentional, right? To like remind you to like, Take a deep breath, right? Breathe through your nose, 
take a deep breath, don't react. Especially when your kids are doing something that's like, ah, and you, the ones you like, like get under your last nerve and you're like, blah, and you blow up, you know? Like, you don't want to do that, you know? Because you look like an idiot and, and you look like, you know, like, I don't know. It's just like, you're trying to teach your kids not to throw a fit and then you as an adult throw a fit, um, you know? So <laughs> it's humbling, right? Yeah, it is. It is. That's, um, I didn't expect to hear a lot of this, but um, I'm not surprised. You know, just about being positive and thankful and just how, I guess, those ways of being are so powerful. And, and then I think in the trail running community, that's might explain a lot of the vibe, you know, the non-judgment and the... Totally. I think a lot of us are, you know, kind of come at this from a trying to find... Well, I think there, there's something to like trail running and just being in nature, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's something healing in that. Yeah. And, and, and it connects us in a deeper level to a lot of different things. Right. You know, like, I, I feel like it's, for me, it's just so like a grounding experience. Like I, like I've really felt there's something about my feet on the dirt and, and just moving slowly. Like I don't get the same thing in when I'm riding my bike, like I've been riding my bike for six weeks <laughs> and you know, with this injury and I'm not getting the same, like, grounding experience that I get with running and mm -hmm. and I miss it like I th I had a breakdown yesterday with my wife I was just like I was just like oh I just want to run I just I can't deal with this anymore you know like I want this to heal up so bad and and um and it's so close but it's still so far you know and and it's just like I haven't had that just you and your breath moving through the woods, you know, and like coming up on deer, or bear, or whatever, you know, and those little experiences you have or, or the bee landing on the flower that you got to witness, you know, pollinating right there. It makes you stop sometimes for me, at least I take the time. I'm not so like attached to my watch unless it's a specific weekly workout that I'm going after. But the rest of the time, if it's an easy run, like, man, I'd stop. I don't stop my watch or anything. I just like, Strava keeps track if I stop. I don't, I don't care. You know, like, I, I just, like, stop and, like, check it out for a minute, you know, and, like, look at what nature's doing right there in front of you, man. It's, like, incredible. And we need to be able to, like, experience that. And, I, you know, you don't experience that flying down a hill on a mountain bike. I found that. You don't. The people we visited with, too, have, like, just you've affirmed what we've heard is that how the mountains are healing. They are. It's a special. They really thing. are. Yeah, I think that's so, what's cool about it because it doesn't matter where you come from, what ex socioeconomic background. It, I mean, it doesn't matter. We all have this like connection to the same stuff, and and it just shows that we're all just creatures of like we're supposed to be outside, a majority of our waking hours, and and we're not anymore, right? We're in like inside in these like unnatural settings with unnatural light and we don't we don't sit out i mean only a few professions are outside all day you know and and we're not anymore when we don't take the time you know we used to like have a lot of free time just to sit quietly and observe nature you know and the wind and i try to do that you know from time to time at least one of my runs a week i try to like have enough time in that run to like 
you know, go climb up somewhere, find like rock outcropping and just sit and like quietly and even just like close my eyes, nose breathe, just listen. Cause sometimes you close your eyes and just listen to nature and the wind. And like, you'll, you'll notice like something over there to the left or something off at like three o'clock, you know, there's something at nine o'clock in the woods, you know, and it's like these little things that you wouldn't notice normally. And just like, and, and sometimes it only takes five minutes, you know, a five minute break in the middle of your run and then take that much extra time. But the, the amount of like calmness and like appreciation that you get from doing that, like in connection, I feel like is something that everyone should kind of strive for. Cause a lot of times we're trying to like, you know, we're all busy and we're all trying to squeeze in our runs and training with our families and jobs and everything else that's going on in our lives. And so we're like, you know, we're like, Oh gosh, okay. I got 45 minutes. I got to get this running. Boom, 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 boom. Back in shower, change, eat real quick, you know, shove food down our gullets as fast as possible. <laughs> so our digestion's horrible. And, and you know what I mean? And like, and then we're like back doing whatever we had to do. And like, <laughs> and you're, and you're like, you know, your heart rates up instead of like taking that moment. And I would like to do it every run, but you know, I don't have that kind of time right now. You know, I got to be back and I got to coach people and I got to take care of my family and, um, and that kind of thing. But, but just remember every once in a while to do that, take that time in your long run or in one of your shorter trail runs a week, you know, stop, listen, be quiet. You know, we don't quiet it very often anymore, especially with smartphones. Mm. Yep. Yep. So do you do any road running or is it hundred percent trail or, what do you think? It's probably 80 plus percent trail dirt running. I mean, I, there's a few, if I'm crunched for time for a workout at lunch, I'll run from my house. I live on the West side of Bozeman, which is, has, it's all flat neighborhoods and, but there's gravel pathways in between, you know, connecting all these neighborhoods. Um, and so I can probably run like 80% soft surface. Um, so I'll mix it up, you know, and I'll just run a flat, flat loop, but I try if I have the time, I go to a trailhead um, and I go into the woods. I'd rather, if I can, I like, you know, at least probably only one or two days a week, I, or one to two days a week, I run from my house. The rest of the time I go to a trailhead. I take the time to go to a trailhead, find, do what we were talking about, get out in the woods, enjoy it. I don't take music. I, I like, well, especially in Montana, there's too many big predators. Like <laughs> you kind of want to be like all ears on deck, right? Because you, you know you need all the warning you can get. You know, get your bear spray out. So have you have you have you tried out? Did they finish that path that's going all the way up to the M that you could run all the way to the M? Apparently, or yeah, from town. Yes, they, yeah. they paved pathway following Bridger Drive up to mm-hmm. the M. Um, yeah, that's all done now. So that's a nice little link up. Like in the winter, you know, that M stays open because so many people hike it. So the winter running, they, they blade that paved pathway from Story Mill Park. So a lot of times I'll come in, there's a coffee shop right by Story Mill, Ghost Coffee. So I'll like go park at Story Mill for my winter trail running and, do, and use the paved pathway as a warm up because it's like two and a half miles up to the M. That'll be a nice warm up and cool down before you hit the Mert. Um, you know, and then, and you've, and you've got, you know, drinking horse there too. So that little loop during the stays open during the winter as well. It stays hard packed out because of the hikers. Do you go straight up the M or do you go back through the foothills? Both. 
Yeah, both. kind of a little of both. Um, kind of bummed it all got burned. Yeah, I was wondering. Oh, yeah, that was bad. I haven't been there since it got burned, so it's still closed. Um, I think they're going to open it at some point. They'll open it back up, but it looks to me like it kind of went from like about two and a half miles up foothills at kind of a fan shape, went up over the top of the ridge. It kind of skirted the top of the M, and then it fanned out and then went over the top of the ridge. And where it did most of the damage was on the east side. Mm. You know, it went, went over the – you know, it was pretty small until the wind event on Saturday because it started on Friday. The wind event on Saturday really, like, got it out of control, and that's when it grew to, like, 7,000 acres or whatever. Yeah, I saw the pictures like a bomb went off or something. Yeah, man. It was just, like, high winds. You know, when you get dry fire with wind, yeah. not a good combo. Luckily, we got that crazy early snow, you know? Oh, I know. I was, I was up there when it snowed, too, at a wedding. I was like, this, well, it's a good thing it snowed, I guess, for that fire. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like one of the best things that could have happened because the wind was coming out of the southwest, and then it shifted to the north-northwest, and then that big rain moisture came in for all Monday for Labor Day and then dumped snow at night. That helped. That, that No better way to get a – get a fire to go out and shift the wind the opposite direction, blow it back on itself and then dump snow on it. I know. So do you have any, like, um, we have for our listeners who maybe are just now getting started, maybe ran a five ten K and they want to increase their distance. (laughs) (laughs) They want to increase their distance. What would you tell them? You have any advice for them or, um, don't increase your, your, your overall volume more than 10% a week and, and do that on one of your run, like one of the runs you start increasing. So like, say you're running all your runs, like, you know, say 30, 45 minutes or whatever as your maintenance running during the week, then if you want to increase volume and mileage for longer efforts, you would take one run a week and just start adding, you know, 15 minutes to it. Right. And then the next week add another 15 minutes to it. And then the next week, add another 15 minutes to it. And once you get up to, you know, say two hours of running for that longer run a week, then you could maybe add a little volume to those midweek runs that are kind of maintenance runs of 30 to 45 minutes. So if you were doing kind of like a 40-minute run, say on average, you might bump that up to 50 minutes or something. You know, one of them or two of them spread out, you know, like not back-to-back days. So you always want to think baby steps, you know, with when you're, when you're new to running or adding volume to not being used to running is you, I tell veteran athletes, they can add about 15% a week or even 20% a week if they have a years and years and years of running under their belt. But if you're newer, you want to say 10% to be safe because you got to allow for that adaptation. And in in physiology, it's about 10 to 14 days for adaptation to show up from that stressor. So you have to allow for that, that, that kind of that slower effect that take, 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 take place and then you to adapt from it and that kind of thing. The other thing I would also um, uh, kind of encourage your listeners if they're newer runners, don't discount cross training like cycling or hiking, um, skiing, Nordic skiing or snowshoeing, stuff like that. So, you know, definitely like just hiking can be a great, you know, uh, a great supplement to your running. So if you're like, oh, I ran yesterday and I, I woke up this morning and I'm feeling a little beat up go for a 45 minute walk instead of a run, you know, and it could be a brisk walk. It can be a slow walk. It doesn't really matter, but get out and just, just active recovery um, can be really, really beneficial. Um, 
especially to newer runners, because you want like 80 to 90% of your overall volume to be under your aerobic threshold. That means like zone one, zone two heart rate. And for those who don't know what that is, 180 minus your age. Don't go over that heart rate ceiling uh, in your if in in your 80 to 90 percent of your volume per week. So you want to really stay in that easy conversational pace, or what I like to say is nose breathing. If you can nose breathe, you're going easy. If you can't nose breathe, you're going too hard. Um, so a majority of your volume should be in that conversational can carry on full sentences while you're running um, and, and not be gasping for air or trying to do one or two or three word sentences. You got to be able to have full sentences. You should be able to sing, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, we, we've entered, we have this, um, a series of questions we like to fire off at uh, our guests. So hopefully you're ready for this. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Favorite shoe. Uh, ultra temp two. Ultra is pretty popular with our with our guests. Yeah. It's your favorite piece of running gear? It two. I, I it's split between two things. It's either got to be shoes or or shorts, probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> a good pair of shorts, man, with pockets. Um, you know, yeah. I. The, the Patagonia Strider Pro is pretty good. I'd also, I actually, I got to throw it, I got to split it three ways, man. It's got to be a, a <laughs> the, the, the Patagonia hat. You know, that's my favorite hat. Mm. I, I, I'm, I got to, I got to shout out for the hat. Are you kind of known for that one hat with, with all the holes on there? Yeah, dude, I brought that hat back. I am responsible. Because <laughs> it, was, it was in the line in the 90s and early 2000s. And when I got into the sport, I bought one of those. And I had one and it, it has holes in it now, but I brought it to like three design off sites for Patagonia. And I, every time I'd be like, make this hat, like you need to bring this hat back. Every time I'm at an event, I at least have three to five people come up to me and go, oh, I love that hat. And, and I'm like, this hat is perfect. You can, you know, squeeze it and throw it in your pocket. You know, you can dip it in a Creek and like wipe, wipe yourself down. And like, it took them a while, but finally one of the designers said, give me that hat. And they traced it on a piece of paper and they came back out with it. And that thing set it's, it sold out the first year. So like <laughs> it's been popular ever since, man, you see it everywhere. Right. So uh, I'm glad they brought it back, man. Cause now I have a whole bunch. I have, I have a bin of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Music or no music. No music 99% of the time. If I'm running in town, I'll listen to podcasts or music. If I'm uh, uh, the second half of 100, I don't use pacers. So music, iPod is my pacers. My playlist is my pacers. What kind of music? music. Oh, it's, a, it's an eclectic mix. Uh, there's stuff like Audio Slave, yeah. Soundgarden. Yeah. Um, Rage Against the Machine, Fast-Paced Bluegrass, um, uh, what else is in there? Pixies, uh, man, I got, it's, it's, it's a weird mix of, of stuff, but I even have some like, you know, like 
alternative country. Um, alter- I have some like clash. Yep. Uh, so it, there's a good mix in there. It's gotta be kind of, kind of like fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite place to run? Oh man, that's a tough one, dude. There's so many good areas. I have to say right now, I mean, my backyard, I mean, there's yeah. so much good stuff in the Gallatin, Spanish peak wilderness. Um, all of those are like huge. I, I would say, you know, right now bridgers are, have been my go-to just because I'm new here mm-hmm. and they're accessible more, t- more, a bigger portion of the year. So I, I've explored them a ton. They're quite, they're, they're a special place just cause they're so close and so accessible. Um, but I, I'd say right now it'd be where I am. Um, second would be the San Juans in Colorado. Southwestern Colorado is a pretty special place. And um, why do you run? That's the most complex answer, dude. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I think I probably do it for more for connection to nature than anything. If I were going to pick one thing, if I were going to pick the top of the list, that's what I, cause that's what right now I'm injured and that's what I miss mm-hmm. is like the simplicity. Like I said, of being just you, your breath, nature, the sounds, you know, the wind, like the quietness of the woods and just you in the, in, in nature. Like I just, there's something about that. That's like, like good for the soul. Definitely. Um, yeah, geez, I wanted to pick your brain about all those. I was checking up run sign up on your thing and I'm like, God, it's just, how do you do it, man? I don't know how you do it. I lost track of how many, how many ultras I've done. It's over 100. Yeah. Over 130. <laughs> I don't know how many, you know, I'm at 3,900. Like, so, and uh, I, I don't know, 130, 150 something probably. I don't know. At some point I need to like sit down, but I'm getting to the point where I can't even remember everything and they're not all on, on run sign up or ultra sign up or either one, you know, so well, they're, like, not. I, they're not all there. So um, only a portion of them there. I don't know. How do you, how do you stay motivated? Like, how do you just, just love it? I do. I love it. And I think part partially too, for me, like I was that kid when I, when I was a kid, I'm like my nine year old. He is like me in a nutshell. Like he can't sit still. Like, I, I was the kid who would be on Ritalin today, you know, mm-hmm. like the pharmaceutical companies. I'm like their cash cow, you know, like, because I needed, I need to be engaged. Like I'm really good at learning hands-on, you know, I'm that kind of a kid and I, I, I needed that. And, and I, so I thrived in a, in a setting where I was hands-on doing it or like someone mentoring me. But if I had to sit in a class, like, <laughs> like I, I'm like spazzo, you know, like I can't sit still. And so I think for me, running calms that and it, ke- it calms my head. It calms me down, um, helps me a little to like, it, it's the only time that I really shut my brain down to be able to go, you know, think about, am I being a good dad? Am I being a good father? Like, am I, you know, am I being a good husband? You know, and it like brings out my weak, all my like shortfalls. <laughs> and shortcomings during that time. But I at least like think about it. You know what I mean? I'm like trying to be, I be, I'm introspective when I'm in that headspace. Yeah. And I feel like that's one of the benefits of trail running 
is that you aren't looking at your watch all the time or like thinking about your pace. You're just like, it's all perceived effort and like in the flow state uh-huh. and like just flowing through the woods. And, and I, sometimes you're running fast and sometimes you're running slow, you know? And, and like, sometimes you're walking, you know? Um, and so like, I, I, I just really think that's probably why I'm still motivated where I'm, I don't know, man. I just, I, I'm super competitive too. Like I, I always have been. And I mean, even in board games or card games, you know, against my kids, like I'm, I want to win, you know? So like, I just like, I like competing too. I like the, I like someone pushing you to another level and like thinking you had a ceiling and that ceiling was glass, you know, mm-hmm. and you break through it and there's something else there that you didn't think you could ha- could happen when you're going like, wow, I thought I could run, you know, like last year at Western States. I never thought I could run. I, I thought I could run sub 16, but I finally did it. You know, like it was like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, you know, wow. But man, we pushed so freaking hard the last 60 K. And I didn't think I, I mean, that was something that I didn't know I could push that hard for so long, you know? And now that's like, a, that was a glass ceiling. Mm. And now I know I can, you know? So now next time there's less of a like barrier then. So I think there's all kinds of like things that can motivate you. Um, part of it now is just being older and being in that demographic. There's not very many of me, you know, and my 49 year old bracket still racing hard. And, and that for me, that's like a motivator too, to like show what's possible. You know, I, I really want to be that kind of a, a role model. You know, I put that own pressure on myself to like take care of myself, to like eat right, to do all the little things, mobility and strength and everything. So I can still perform. Um, as I go into my fifties, cause I want to, I got my sights set on 50 plus records, you know, like I, I like, yeah, I just, I, I need a carrot and I always, you know, I need that carrot. And I think that's probably what keeps me motivated. There's a lot of factors there. Wow. Is there, what would you, I guess it's probably more of a myriad of things, right. That will can contribute to this, but real quick, how would you explain how you keep your longevity and like being so competitive and like successful at it? Well, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of fact, again, it's, it's a, it's a multifaceted answer, right? Because, um, there's not that everybody wants the, like the, the one thing, the simple pill to take. And, and there isn't that, right. It's a, it's a bunch of things. If you look at me, like as a, like a whole, you have to analyze my entire history, right? I was, I've been in competitive or in doing competitive sports since I was like six years old and I never, you know, all till I was like 18. So I was running, doing four sports a year and I was strength training. So I had a huge base there. Then I went into college. I played intramural sports for a year or two. Then I got into mountain biking and then I was doing mountain biking and lifting weights. And then, so that was all like base building. I didn't even know I'm building this endurance base the whole time, right? All through my twenties of just like recreational mountain biker, climber, backpacker. And then, you know, I was just having fun and then when I got into competitive, into ultra running, at first I came into this sport just to finish him. I wasn't trying to compete. I just like, wow, these are cool. I want to do it like as an adventure and like bucket list stuff. And then I got hooked on the community and the experience and the whole training of it. And then I, then I started trying to compete and then I started trying to get faster. And then, you know, I started having some success. And once that happened, then I, you know, you get a little success and then you'd want, you know, it's, success is a little addictive like anything. 
you know, winning feels really good. And so, you know, then you want to win again. And then you're like, how can I do that better next time? And you, you know, I'm also like very analytical too. So I, 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 I analyze the course. I know the course going into it on, even if I've never been there and I haven't been able to recon the course, I know it in my head on a map. I know all the aid stations. I know the sections, how, where the big climbs are. You know, I know where my, I can use my strengths and weaknesses during the race. So, you know, I, I'm definitely a tactician as well. So, you know, doing all those things. And then as I've aged, embracing the other things that aren't running, right? Mobility, strength, cross training, um, mindset, nutrition, you know, those, all those things, nutrition helps with recovery. Nutrition helps with weight maintenance. You know, it helps with longevity, inflammation, you know, all those things that helps you recover faster, which in turn allows you to be able to handle more volume or more intense workouts or bounce back from a hundred miler and run another hundred miler 19 days later, you know, or, or whatever that kind of combo of like things are. And, and then if you do that consistently, you know, for 20 years, you've created this like, you know, you've, you've created like a, the right recipe, you know, for longevity, hopefully, you know? So, um, I definitely play around with other sports and enjoy myself in the winter and cross train ski and all those kind of things. And I strength train and mobility and nutrition, but I always try to like, um, I don't know. I think that's the recipe, man. You got to have fun with it and it's got to be fun. And if it's not fun, you know, there's been a lot of talk of that during COVID is like, why do we run? You know, cause I have certain athletes that quit, quit coaching because there weren't events. Yeah. It's like, well, that's their motivator. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's not my motivator. Like I looked at it as like, whoa, at first I was, you know, I'm bummed obviously because yeah. I love the community and I love the competing, but also there's a part of me that every year at the end of every year, when the snow starts flying again, I go, dang it. I really wanted to do that run, you know, like self-supported or I really wanted to go run that route, but I was so busy racing that I didn't get it in. And this year has been one of those years where I've run a bunch of routes in my backyard that are epic and I love them. And it's just me by myself. And it was fun, you know, like, and so like my motivator is like the woods, right? More than it is and the adventure than it is necessarily the races. That fun factor is definitely important. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Really more. Hey, uh, one of my one of our previous episodes I was I mentioned um I was watching a video and I think you were in it actually and you guys I think you're at UTMB and you guys all ended up at like a pirate bar or something. Does that <laughs> ring a bell? Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pirate bar and you guys are all talking like pirates. And <laughs> our I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> this is Spanish main. Um, yeah. yeah, dude. Uh, it was Jamil Curry, Jason Slarb, uh, Claire Gallagher. Uh, who else was in that group with us? Um, I can't remember. who. Dude, it was, we had, okay, uh, I'm trying to think. Cecilia from Goo, um, uh, from Goo Marketing. Um, we, so we had gone to some, I'll tell you the story. Because we had been at some, like, like, some European magazine 
had opened up a, a trail running magazine and they had like a Everyone usually flies out on Monday, right? But the race is done by Saturday. So this was like Sunday night. So, and we were, I had to fly, I had to catch a, a shuttle at like 9.30 the next morning from our place in, in Chamonix. And so uh, we went out to this bar and it was like an evening party. And I ran into all the guys from um, when I was down for Ultra Fjord for, in Chile. And I, I ran all the Chilean uh, uh, ultra runners and we hadn't seen each other for you know, like three years. So like, we, I was like, Hey, so we went to dinner next door and I drank there and came back and Jamil and I were drinking and slarb and like, we all were like hanging out and having a good time. And, and, and then it kind of was like chilling out about, you know, 10 o'clock or something. And, and so we were, you know, at that time, you just like probably appropriate to go home, but it's your last night in France. And so we were like, so I don't remember if it was Jamil or slar, but someone had heard about this pirate bar. And they're like, there's a pirate bar in the city center, but it's hidden in an alley. And there's a, you have to look for the Jolly Roger and you know, the skull and crossbones. And, and mm. so we were like, okay, let's go find it. And so we go out and, and someone had it on their Google maps. So like a dot on the GPS. And so we walk, so I don't know if you guys been to UTMB, but nope. the, the finisher shoot comes around this like Island building of hotels, like six, seven, eight stories. And then there's like retail on the bottom floor and, and it runs right, right in front of this Island of buildings in this big kind of mall area. And the dot showed center of this building, but we're, we walk all the way around the building. We can't find anything. Can't find anything. Then finally there's this little gap in the building, like a narrow alleyway but it's a dead end alley and we stop and stick our head down the alley. And you, at the end of the alley, there was something, there was like a, a pro, like a projector machine putting like a Jolly Roger big up on the side of the brick wall. And, and we were like, Oh, there it is. And you go in and it's a, a flight of stairs to a basement bar. that's all black with like red lights and, paraphernalia everywhere like old muskets and like bait and like knives and swords like legit like original <laughs> legit stuff here, huh? <laughs> like real pirate stuff and like i mean it's ancient you know you're like oh my i mean it's and it's like the ceilings like seven feet tall so it's like really low ceilings and and it's a bar with all these backlit bottles and it's all custom mixed rum mixtures and all it is is rum. And so we just started drinking rum and Coke. And, you know, if you drink rum and Coke and Coke is caffeine at like 11 o'clock at night, you're like wired. So we were like, <laughs> oh, and, and so, you know, we just we ended up staying out till like three in the morning. We like like Claire and like uh, and Jason were like cutting a rug on the like with like six other dudes from like Denmark or something like out on this little tiny dance floor. And like, I was like, and Jamil and I were standing at the bar laughing the whole time. And it was like the trippiest night. It was crazy. Um, it was funny, man. It was like, I, I barely made my shuttle the next morning. I had, a, I had like, obviously, <laughs> um, 
Um, That's amazing. Got a little proud of that one, but um, <laughs> but it was you know when in France. Yeah, he was literally just recently asking. He was like asking me, "Did you see there was a pirate bar?" And um, I have been to the pirate bar. <laughs> we we decided. I can confirm that, there is a pirate bar in Chamonix. We decided that trail runners were the pirates of the of the sea. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that's what we said. Or was it pirates of the? I can't. We were the pirates of. The trail running community, pirates of the running community, trail runners, something like yeah, that. Yeah, we are, man. We totally are. We go against the grain. <laughs> yep. Well, I think that about takes up all the time we have. Is there any parting words you wanted to say? No, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, I had fun with the conversation. Yeah, thanks for joining the show, and really um, thankful and grateful, and got to meet you and. Welcome. Yeah, if you're ever in Bozeman, man, let me know and let's like meet for coffee or beers or whatever. Oh yeah, definitely, man. That'd be that'd be great. I think that um, you're definitely the biggest star of the show we've, we've had so far. So yeah. congratulations. Well, I appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, appreciate yeah. it. I'm glad you came on. But we'll definitely hit you up on that offer every time when we're in Bozeman. So we we get there quite a bit, actually. Cool. All right, yeah. Well, everybody, that's uh, Bronco Billy and Jeff Brown. Hey, speaking of which, where'd Bronco Billy come from? Anyhow, real quick. Uh, well, I, I, uh, I used to climb in, I used to climb with a buddy from Wyoming in Denver. They used to yell giddy up all the time. And it became <laughs> this like catchphrase of like, anytime you needed to do anything, like, you know, move for a, like a hold that you were having trouble with. We'd all yell giddy up. Come on. You know, you can do it. And, and so it just became this habit of like yelling giddy up whenever you like needed to get motivated. And when I moved to Bend, I continued to use the term. Like I, you know, I was like, I'd grown up on a farm and I was kind of like an old hillbilly kid, you know? And um, I started like, I would yell giddy up all the time. And I had a buddy I was running with in 2002, 2003. in when my first couple of years in the sport, and we were kind of like training partners and we did some adventures together and I paced him a Wasatch and and so I would yell giddy up all the time. And he, he claimed to be from, you know, like the berserker tribe, like a Viking descendant. And <laughs> so I would call him berserker. So I nicknamed him berserker. And because I yelled giddy up all the time and like yelled yeehaw and stuff like that, he, he started calling me Bronco Billy. And when I started looking for a blog, um, I, I was a graphic designer, you know, marketing person and branding person. So I was like, look for jeffbrowning.com. It wasn't available. I was going to do a blog back in like 2003 and back for social media, you know? And, and so I was just going to share like, you know, my race reports with my family and in the Midwest, they were like, what are you doing out there? Like running hundred miles? What, you know, you crazy kid. And I, I told. But I was looking for, for a, a URL at the time, domain name. And like, so I, I started looking for Jeff Browning, wasn't available. I looked for Bronco Billy, it wasn't available. So then I was like, well, I need an action word, like go, you know? So go Bronco Billy was available. I got it, that became my blog. And then, well, I was in branding and marketing at the time when social media came out and I got go Bronco Billy and all my handles for Instagram and Twitter and all that. So that kind of is how it started as that. And then people started just, calling me Bronco Billy because of my blog. So I'd be at races and I'd hear go Bronco, you know, like when you run by and I had a couple of really good buddies in the sport, kind of like key people in the community. Like, um, 
uh, Rock Horton and Chrissy Mayle and, and, and Joe Grant and, and um, Ty Draney and a few other people that were back in the 2000s and late 2000s were started calling me Bronco just in, they called me Bronco instead of Jeff. Like mm. that's just, they always just call me Bronco. And that kind of caught on and then it just kind of took on a life of its own um, after that. So it's one of those great nicknames that I didn't come up with myself. Someone else. Those, those are the real nicknames, right? nickname. real nickname. Real nickname. That's the real kind of nickname, right? You can't give yourself a nickname. Not supposed to, at least. No, you're not supposed <laughs> to. Do. It's not a true nickname. You know, yeah. you can't you can't be responsible for your own nickname. Come on. Yeah, you can't give yourself your own nickname. That is totally right. His um, computer died, so <laughs> we were just talking about how you can't give yourself your own nickname. Yeah, we can't. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't. That's the rule, man. You can't give yourself your own nickname, right? <laughs> so that's what I love about it. Like, it became its own thing, and, like, it became my nickname, and it's now my alias. My kids love to say it. They love to, like, they'll say, Jeff, Dad, 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 and then they'll go, Bronco Billy, if I'm not listening. And I'll be like, what? <laughs> Yeah, because I thought that was her name at first. I thought it was going to be Billy something, but yeah, and I have some people just call me Billy. But <laughs> most people that have known me a long time that use the nickname call me Bronco. <laughs> That's a hell of a name. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, uh, it's funny. Well, thanks for coming on. I like sincerely appreciate it. And yeah, man, next time if I'm healed up, next time you're telling us run or have coffee or whatever. All right. Yeah, you might yeah, have yeah. to wait for us, but we'll. we'll <laughs> it might be on one of your slow days. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine, man. That's what's cool about the right. We're talking about this community. It doesn't matter, right? Yep. Running and hiking or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like getting out in the woods. Definitely. All right, we'll be in touch. And thanks a lot. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Hot mic. Hot mic. Hot route. Thanks for coming on, Jeff. We sure appreciate it. Um, taking time out of your busy schedule and starting the podcast and hope people enjoy it, some of that. I'm going to call him Bronco. You're going to call him Bronco? It's like I said, call me Bronco. Call me Bronco. <laughs> you know that's on? Gentlemen Broncos. Groundhog Day. Oh. He shows up to the movie theater dressed as Clint Eastwood. I haven't seen that pirate bar, but... You didn't find the pirate bar yet? The way you guys described it. Ahoy, matey. Ahoy. Ahoy. Arr. Arr. What's the pirate's favorite letter? Arr. No, it'd be the C. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's pretty good, eh? <laughs> That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. My favorite pirate is, um, what's his name? Jack Sparrow. Are you a um, trail pirate? Yeah. I what? think trail runners are the pirates of the running world. I almost made a really crude joke. Good thing you didn't. You're a public official now. I gotta remind my P's and Q's a lot better. Yeah, why don't pirates shower before they walk the plank? Why? Because they'll just wash up on shore later. <laughs> <laughs> why is pirating so addictive? Why? Because once you lose your hands, you get hooked. <laughs> <laughs>
are these coming from Laffy Taffy? Yep. Rapper? How do pirates know they're pirates? Pirates? Oh. They think, therefore, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I just give it. Dad jokes. Dad jokes. Oh, I'm, I'm beginning to embrace all these dad jokes. Oh, yeah. I'll get you in too much trouble. Yeah. I like test. Do you think it's because we test out the corniness on our kids? Yep. We got a fourth grade level sense of humor. <laughs> I took a reading test. Oh, yeah. I was a. I was trying to administer a reading test for all the candidates. and I had to test, test mine first before I agreed to that. And I was like, I, I can live with these results. Then the, again, graduate college level, that's why. It was, um, I can't remember. It was. I remember. They were getting harder, though. I was like, oh, my God. I, don't, I really had to use my brain. Uh-huh. I need to start reading more. I haven't been reading as much as I should. What has eight legs, eight arms, and eight eyes? Spider? Eight pirates. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got a high reading, reading level. Well, Bronco Billy, what do you think? I think that um, the interview. I think he was full of knowledge. He's a professional, like the way um, you might approach your craft. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a carpenter or an educator or architect, he approached running. He approaches yeah. running, like as a science. And just like life, I think we got. I didn't. I didn't expect to go down into the conservatorship quite as much as we did. Uh huh. But it was very informative, and I think there's a place for it. And I think that it kind of goes hand in hand with um, people who are conservatorship. You know, when you talked about like um, conservation, conservation, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that I think that we find a lot of similarities. Just being a, um, I think trail runners are just mountain trail runners are just cut from a certain cloth. And like, that's why we all kind of group so tightly together most of the time because we're just pretty much the same people, I believe, and, you know. Yep, share the same interests. And mm-hmm. Conservatorship as in um, concern for the environment. And yeah, yeah. When you get public up. lands is a big issue to you. Mm-hmm. Access to public lands. Yep. But I'm skydiving. Hopefully, hopefully we get to go over there and run with them. How many people can say they run with the... Shot hoops with Craig Hodges or yeah. the Admiral Dennis Rodman. <laughs> That's not Dennis Rodman. <laughs> so um, those of you who are interested, um, check him out on his website, GoBroncoBilly.com. And mm-hmm. um, he does offer coaching. <clears throat> There's different packages of coaching, and some of you want to take it up to the next level. I think I'll be Some a- of you want to sponsor us to be coached by him. Or if you want us to coach you, Jason yeah. will do it. Yeah, pay me. Mm-hmm. Because those that can't do, teach. And those that can't teach, <laughs> teach computer lab. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, he's got one, the Trail Tribe. That looks pretty good. It's got some weekly training tips. And mm-hmm. then it kind of goes up. So, I think that's what I need. I think I just need someone to tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm lacking a lot of self-motivation as I get older. I don't know why. I don't know. It might take the joy out of it if you're going to get ready to go running. And then, say, did you go run? Yeah. Definitely. Go clean the yard. Go wash those dishes. <laughs> go run. Why don't you go run? <laughs> <laughs> go run or something. <laughs> but he's got some good stuff, though. But really, though, um, I'll joke aside, man. He's got a lot of good information on his website. A good guy. I wish we could, like, really, I don't know how to explain, like, gri- not gravitate. What's the word I'm looking for? It's early. Um really make people feel just like how awesome he is, I guess, you know, like where he stands, like within our thing. I'm sure like if there was a famous polo player, I'd be like, oh, no, that's, that's cool. I don't play polo, but no, good for that guy. I think that 
because he's he's one of the legends. He's going to be a legend. Uh, he's the, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Sponsored by like Patagonia Ultra, Goo. Yeah. I'm looking at here Protec, SMB. So many sponsors. Sunto. He's like a NASCAR car. Yeah. Vespa. Human trail butter. And you don't get Rudy. so many sponsors by not being good at what you do. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about our sponsor? Yeah. Glucose Liquid Energy. Just yeah. kidding. They're not our sponsor. They're just, we're ambassadors. They gave us some glucose stuff. To they gave us try some glucose. So with, huh? we're going to try it out. G-L-U-K. G-L-U-K-O-S. I should probably mention Nathan also, huh? Nathan, our other, our other, um, how do we say it? I don't know. Partners. Partner. Partnership. Supported us. Supported, supported us. us. We're real thankful, and we, we we stand behind their product. They got some good packs on their sales right now, too, 25% off of their trail packs. Did we just do an ad? Yeah, we just did an <laughs> ad. But for real, though, check it out. Nathan Hydration, they got some good packs. If you want handhelds, all sorts. I got the some of the winter running gear for nighttime. Mm-hmm. And um, I had it might be the end of the season sale. A lot of the really good stuff is on sale. Mm-hmm. But then that made me think, are they just on sale because the new gear is coming out? So last Indeed. season's gear is just Even, as good as anything. Yeah, else. I think that I was I was more than happy with my Vapor Car One. Then they gave us the next one. I was like, oh, I'll take it. Yeah. This is, it's so much better. Good stuff. It's hard to believe that you can improve on something that was already really good. And it takes a special company to do that. And I feel like they did it. And especially with um, that waste pack you had. Uh-huh. The second one was like. It's way better, huh? Way better. Could put poles on it. Could put poles on it. Big old. I, was, I stuck the water bottle in the wrong pocket, though, and I was wondering why it doesn't fit. <laughs> I didn't get the instructions. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Sure appreciate it. Nathan Nathan pushed on, not pushed, but recommended. Glucose. Glucose, and they sent us. I was. I don't even know how long it was on my step. I have a thing, and there's like a little cubby on my porch. Uh-huh. And it just kind of blended into that little, um, what it was leaned against. The FedEx guy was knew where to hide it. It was hiding right in plain sight. Uh-huh. And, um... One day I was running them back up the steps and I, I almost tripped and uh-huh. I kind of caught myself and I was like, I level with it. I was like, what the heck? What is that? And I grabbed it. I was like, how long has this been here? Cause it, remember we kept waiting for it to come in. Yeah. And it came in. I'm not even sure how long. So it it's kind of big and it's not like, um, jelly. It's almost liquid. It looks, it seems a little more liquid than, it seems you know, like it'd be easier to drink, consume. Yeah. Drink. But it's a big, it's a big pouch. It's about as big as bigger than the spring energy. Huh? Yep. I would say way bigger. I haven't tried it yet, though. I haven't been on a... I don't want to try it on a three-mile. I want to try it on a 10. Maybe I'll just sit here and try it and see what, we'll see what it does to me. It probably won't be good, because remember that time I took... Like um, when you sit around and just drink perturbium or whatever it was. <laughs> perturbium and... What was the other one? Remember that one that's named after a wine? The one you had barley? Or that hops? I don't remember. Tailwind. We tried some tailwind at work, and... <laughs> Not the wine, but the <laughs> hydration stuff. <laughs> There's a tailwind wine and a tailwind hydration. Make sure you do the hydration, nutrition. <clears throat> Last time I put some tailwind wine in my reservoirs and almost never made it back. Had to go out looking for you. Had a heck of a time, though. <laughs> uh, he's joking. I am joking. That's fine. Well, here's to a good season. Good season. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. I think. Yeah, thank you, Levi. I thought. I thought. Let's just, let's just get past ten, and then we'll we'll see how we'll really elevate. A goal. A goal is to get to ten. B goal was maybe a little further, and we just kept on cruising. And at one point, we 
someone paid us to do it <laughs> at a certain point. So that was nice to get. That was pretty cool. It was. I never saw that happening. I think because I'll even. I just totally planned on doing this for free because I like doing it. The great thing is um, being exposed to other trail runners and mm-hmm. just meeting more people. And do we meet Bronco Billy without this podcast? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I met Mike Foot. That was nice. Yeah. Maybe you gave him a big sweaty hug. Yeah. I was going to give him a sweaty punch right to the gut, too, but Cause he's too his, tired. What was that fancy word? What was it? I mean, you called him a lover of pain, but there was a word for it. Well, I just should have called him a lover of pain, huh? <laughs> a masochist? Yeah. Or a sadist? Sadist. Sadistic. Sadistic. He's sadistic. 50K. One of the most sadistic 50Ks. And he said, I would have made it harder if I could. <laughs> he was like, next year, just um, run the 28K. It has all the... <laughs> hard climbs with none of the flat stuff mm-hmm. did you do the the rock got canceled too right yeah i signed up for next year though oh man back the scene. miles back. have the miles have been more precious this year i mean just thankful to get any miles because of mm-hmm. all the cancellation of races and yeah you know what maybe we need it maybe we need to be reminded that we all just love for the run of it Love for the run of it. <laughs> yes, we love for the run of it. Yes, we do. We're going to get a t-shirt that says love for the run of it. <laughs> love for the run of it. I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> I heard a story about these guys, and I forgot who it was. I don't take credit for the story, so it wasn't me. But I guess they, went, they moved away to Kansas to school, and they went to um, driving a taxi, so they got on the phone and dialed zero and said, Hello, Operation. Can you give me a taxi mama cab? <laughs> were they Chinese? No, they're from here. <laughs> they're from here, speaking English. Oh. And there's another one. I'll tell this without mentioning his name. He's one of our listeners. I don't know if it's true, though, but um, some of his friends like, or his teasing cousins like to tell the story that he was trying to um, ask somebody if they were participating in the high jump yeah, and track when they were in high school. And he went over there and said, excuse me, you jump up for so high. <laughs> it's Brooks, wasn't it? <laughs> it's one of my good, my very good friends, but thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, friends. Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> you jump up for so high. <laughs> um, the heck was I going to say, Jason? You love for the run of it? You just love for the run of it. That could, be your, <laughs> that could be our closing for the next season. Love for the run of it. But thanks for hanging out with us, guys. I mean, I, mean, I think, like, you really, you really, you really, I don't know what to say. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. And I sure appreciate it. We do. I'm yet to be recognized by my sultry voice alone, though. Really? I'm waiting for, I haven't been doing any runs. You know the last run I did? Uh-huh. The Bighorn 50 Mile. That was your last run, huh? That was the last run I ever signed up for and participated in. It was a heck of a run. It was. Nothing since then. And I guess our next run potentially would be the Bighorn 100 Mile? Yes, Bighorn 100. We got to squeeze a 50 mile in there somewhere. Yes, are we going to find a 50 50 mile mile. race or are we just going to do a. um, That's what I was wondering if I was going to maybe find a 50 mile to run somewhere. Yep. Like on our own or sign up. Beaverhead's open right now. They got 100K spots and 50K spots. Yeah. That's a nice run. Mm, what else? 
A lot of virtual runs going on. I bet you we're going to stay virtual for a while. That's cool. I think, I don't know. They just submitted the vaccine for to FDA. Really? On Friday, I believe. You're going to take the vaccine? I'm going to let you take it first and see what happens <laughs> then. I didn't even take the flu shot. I'm yeah. not an anti-vaxxer, though. That's maybe, maybe I can. And then if I just sprout like an extra appendage, you know, I'll get to sue. You know, I wonder how much I can get for that. <laughs> <laughs> extra appendage. Or, I don't know, what happens? Yeah, I'll, I think everyone will probably end up taking it anyway. Do you think we'll make it mandatory? Come back to work? You know, to get into school and to get into jobs, you already have to mandatorily take some vaccines. Really? Yeah. Like smallpox? Like um, the influenza shot. Remember, they put that little bubble under your skin, and then you got to get a doctor to clear you, and then you get hired. That's TB. Yeah, TB. Mm -hmm. So there's already a lot of shots, and the kids have to have their vaccines updated before they're let in school just for public safety. So I think people forgot that. We were already doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of hysteria and fear. There is. A needless hysteria and fear going around about it. And we just got to be like, I believe in science. Like Nacho Libre. Like Escalito. <laughs> Escalito. I can never remember his name. I was going to call him Diego. Me. <laughs> judge me because I only believe in science. <laughs> when he baptized him. <laughs> <laughs> and inside the man is his nucleus. <laughs> or his recreational pants. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shenanigans. All right. Do you think we should film it again? I like the filming it, but yeah, I just fun. don't like the work behind it. Let's do some. Um, let's find Let's find a sponsor to pay for someone to video us. Oh, yeah. We'll do that. They just know how to work. Yep. I got to watch it. I got to watch this talk about eight hours because you got to watch it that many times. When you edit? Yeah. Wow. One time, because the way I set it up on my program where um, I stack, because remember we had three different views? Yes. If we had just one view, it'd be a lot easier, but we had the different ones, which I think really adds, gives a little bit of... It's more engaging, more, oh, yeah. easier to watch. Uh, so you stack all three timelines on top of each other, and then one is labeled like one, two, then three. So then I have my main monitor, uh-huh. which is what's going out. Then I have on the right side, there's like each different view. So if you're talking, I'll hit two. Then if it's both of us, I'll hit one. Then when I talk, I'll hit three. Then I got to sit there and watch the whole, listen to the whole conversation. Are you tempted just to like A couple out? times I fell asleep. Are you tempted to cut out big chunks of it to make it go faster? I was tempted just to hit one and leave it there. But then there's mm-hmm. times where like I'll be like, you'll be doing this or I'll be doing this or I'm drinking coffee or then I just, I'll cut to the other person or I'll pick my nose. Cut or, that out? Yeah. I hope you cut mine out. It's hard. There's a lot of them. <laughs> Did um, you get tired of our twitches and like your nonverbal movements that you weren't aware you were doing? Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that I was doing a lot of things until I started. Like, what do you do? I don't notice them. I, I probably don't think the things that I do is weird, but I mean, you probably don't think the things that I do are weird, but when I watch them, I'm probably like, why am I doing that? That's weird. It is weird. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding okay and if you participated in no shave november you got six more days i think you could catch me in about a week <laughs> <laughs> i'll stop shaving today and 
<laughs> Remember, I stopped shaving during quarantine. I found some of those pictures of it. I just look like a a ragged pirate. R R. I should have been saying R. Should have put a little um, hair barrette on your chin here. I should have. I probably could have. It was bad. I wish it would grow right here, though. On your cheeks? Yeah. I need a full, full on man beard. Maybe I start taking testosterone. I heard that if you um, apply that to your face, it'll grow on your hands. Really? <laughs> what if you wear gloves? Yeah, I probably won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally splash someone <laughs> on your nose. Be careful how someone bumps you. <laughs> <laughs> that could go wrong so many ways. Well, Jason, that concludes season one. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to the trail cast. Look forward to many more. I think that maybe we found our groove. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. But um, it should come faster with our new thing. Uh, when I edited the last one, it was pretty, pretty spontaneous. So maybe I'll just hand them off to you and you can do it. I'll try it out. So um, don't forget, everybody, uh, gobroncobilly.com. Give it a look-see. Thank you, Bronco Billy, Jeff Browning, for agreeing to do this. You didn't really have to. It'd be like Wayne's World was shooting the show out of their basement. And like if they had a celebrity coming, same thing. No, he's a real, he's the real deal, and he took actually took the time to join the show. So thank you. And he was engaging, Jeff Browning. Well, he wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah, amazing. It was our first interview by Zoom. Yeah, so we were also trying to work out some Zoom kinks. I think my battery died. Yep, Zoom. <laughs> oh yeah, your battery died, and <laughs> so we're figuring that out. Audio levels and whatnot. But this thing we could Zoom with my Zoom. It's named Zoom. Zoom, zoom, zoom. And a boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> I should have programmed that in there. What was that? Zoom. Maybe Zoom will sponsor us. Okay, everybody. Jason, unless you have something else. Oh, that's good. Look forward to season two where we have many more glorious episodes. I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving dinner. Me too. I'm going to go home and rub some butter all over us my turkey (laughs) (laughs) awesome okay everybody run hard and run like the wind wait what did you say you're gonna run for the love of it i'm gonna love for the run of it oh we love for the run of it love for the run of it